the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. This is Ed. And this is <laughs> Stella Cooley. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic reviews from March 1st to March 14th. We have a total of three books to cover, and you may you may not believe it, but probably more news than I think we've ever, ever had before on a podcast. Um, so let's just get into it. The first thing I want to talk about is kind of an update from something we talked about last episode. You may remember the last episode I talked about the fact that uh, Scott Snyder sent out a tweet saying that Batman number 40, the final issue of Batman Endgame, was delayed to the Wednesday before... He didn't say it was delayed. He said it was coming out the Wednesday before Free Comic Book Day. And then, as we have heard, Free Comic Book Day, the issue has a preview of what's to come in the pages of Batman. And he was saying that the... Endgame finale is, is going to somehow lead up to that free comic book day issue. Now, at the time when we did the last episode, there was no confirmation that this was actually happening. We had no idea whether or not this was just him not thinking about the actual dates or what. But as it turns out, I have now found proof that it is not hap- that issue is not coming out until April 29th. So, as it turns out, uh, previews the if you are unfamiliar with previews, previews is basically the book where the solicitations are all posted that get sent to the comic shops. That's the whole reason we see solicitations three months in advance, because comic shops need to order their comics in advance. So they updated the release date of the 29th, and then it just so happened that just this weekend, DC also happened to update the release date for Batman number 40 to April 29th on their own website. Because as of the last episode when we recorded two weeks ago, it was not. It still said it was coming out the last Wednesday, or, well, April 1st it was coming out. So they've delayed it. Now, the uh, there are some other books that were also delayed, including Superman and Justice League. Though They are also coming out the last Wednesday of April, right before Free Comic Book Day. And the Free Comic Book Day is also set, said to include stories leading up to the changes that are happening in Justice League. And, and Superman. So, do you really think it's necessary for Endgame to be delayed, considering, regardless of the fact of, you know, we're gonna get to more, probably one of the biggest news bits in a minute about the fact that there could be an all new Batman coming in June. Not thinking about that specifically, but thinking about the fact that here we are, Batman Endgame, it's being delayed just to basically promote the free comic book day issue, which is then set to promote whatever's happening coming June. Do you really feel like it's necessary, or do you feel like it's just promotional material that they're they're trying to push? I mean, the obvious answer is it's promotional material. I, I, this doesn't seem to be like an art backup, you know? I mean, sometimes artists get backed up, but this doesn't seem to be one where Capullo couldn't get the art done. Um, I don't like them backing this one up for a couple of reasons. One, it's going to play havoc with our recording schedule, which I know, <laughs> you know, because it's going to happen now right in the middle of Convergence, the end of Endgame, and should be a fairly major book to cover. Um, and I just, I, I don't like the fact that you're just kind of getting, we're waiting 
two months to get the finale to a story, that kind of always bugs me. I think it's mostly for publicity, unless Capullo needed time to finish the art, but I don't think that's the case. It's also, uh, it, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, if I may make some sort of small segue or I guess tangent, uh, because I asked. No, it's not a mar- Well, actually, there will be one in there later, but we're doing poetry in my AP, uh, Latin class right now. And so I asked at one point, why was such and such name, you know, delayed so much in this? Cause like Dido should have appeared at the very beginning, but she's at the very end of the sentence, several lines down. And one of the students said, is it, is it for suspense? And that was, of course, the answer. Now, I don't know if this is intentional, but I feel like to a certain extent, maybe, you know, waiting for that last issue, it does create, you know, some sort of a suspense if we are left in, you know, the second last issue with something really big floating and we're just waiting, waiting for it. The, the downside to it, of course, besides the recording schedule, um, is, is the fact that sometimes you forget what happened. So even if you are in suspense, I feel like that suspense may only last for a couple weeks. So I'm hoping it's not a, a, a creator issue because, you know, the artist has been on track, I think, for the most part. But waiting for free comic book day, I think it is a smart, is a smart thing, uh, to gain that publicity, uh, perhaps to start pushing forward for more things that are happening. And I mean, yes, Marvel, in fact, is doing a big thing to lead up to the Secret War stuff. So that is the way to go. Use that when you have it to, to bring more people in. Yeah. And here, here's the thing. Okay. I fully believe that this is just a promotional tool because I feel like once they announced convergence wasn't really going to have an effect on whatever was happening in June. There was a lot of people, including myself, who thought to themselves, well, why even bother picking up any books in May and June, or May, uh, April and May if it's not, it's not actually meaning anything. Basically, you're taking two months off because you need to move your offices and you're giving us a story that has no effect on the future of the DC universe. What's the point? So, by releasing not just Batman, but also Superman and Justice League, you're getting people to pay attention to, to at least something happening in those two months. You're also promoting the Free Comic Book Day issue, which, you know, if it's going to promote the stuff that's coming in June. Now, I will say this. We talked about this on the last episode. The May issues that are coming out for Convergence are all, are all going to include a seven-page backup, not an official backup, but a, a basically a preview of one of the series that we'll be releasing in June. So that, in some ways, is a cool thing. You're not going to pay any extra money for that. But it is cool to see that. But basically, the month of April, other than the first week and the last week, if you're not really caring about conversions, there's not a whole lot to care about. Um, I just feel like, you know, they really should have never said that conversions doesn't play into everything that's happening in the future. But I'll just leave it at that because we've got tons more news. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is, you may remember, this was this is another update from a news story we talked about. Ugh, man, it's been probably a month and a half since I brought this up. But you may remember that I talked about the fact that it was very odd that uh, Gotham Academy was a, uh, a week one book um, when it first came out in October. For October, November, and December, it came out in week one. And then all of a sudden... January came along and we didn't see Gotham Academy in week one. Instead, we saw Gotham Academy move to suddenly the week four slot. Um, so we almost went two full months without seeing a new issue of Gotham Academy, which I thought was rather odd. So I kind of looked into it to figure out what it was. And it turns out there was an interview that was done with Newsarama way back at the end of December 
where Carl Kershaw, the artist on the book, was talking about his process of how the how, how his art gets created and how it gets the style that it does. And basically, the gist of the article was talking about his art, but the 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 pullout from the article was the fact that there's a lot of colorists that are on the book to make the book look the way it is, and the amount of colorists needed to complete one issue is a lot of colorists. There are there's a ridiculous amount of work. They actually are breaking up a lot of the art with backgrounds being done by one person, the main layouts being done by another one just to make sure that the book is getting done on time. And they had a bunch of artists that, or a bunch of colorists that actually left the title because it was too much work. Um, and in, in turn, that's part of the reason why it was delayed. So I just wanted to do a quick update on that story, even though it was a month and a half ago. All right, so the next bit of news we've got is on March 9th, uh, there were some details released about We Are Robin, this, the upcoming series that's coming in June, written by Lee Bermejo. He talked with USA Today about the plan for the new book. He said that the goal of the title is to take an expanded look at the mantle of Robin using a diverse group of characters, most of whom are presumably new. We Are Robin will focus mainly on Duke Thomas, the young African-American teenager first introduced by Scott Snyder in his zero-year storyline. And this is the same Duke Thomas that was later sh- that was later to be shown as Robin last September during DC's Future's End issue. Um, when the series opened, it really doesn't have an identity, Bermejo says, but the group knows its mission statement. It's one thing to put a hashtag on your Twitter account as a teenager and feel like you're part of something. It's a whole nother thing when stuff hits the fan and you have to stand up for what you believe in. Um, now, f- f- focus on the new characters comes at the expense of examining previous characters who have taken up the mantle of Robin, including Stephanie Brown and Carrie Kelly, who have not had much presence in the New 52. Romeo commented, I'm not going to rule anything out at this point, but what I'm trying to do with the series is not address so much the Robins that have come before, but the new generation of teenagers out there really from various backgrounds. Um, he also said, you can take the concept of Robin and really play with it and really stretch it and expand upon it and bend it. It will still hold resemblance to the core of the character in the Bat Mythos. My thoughts on this. Um, so here's the thing. Introducing a whole new group of characters, Duke Thomas, and I'm still going to consider a new character because other than the Future's End issue and just having random appearances in Snyder's run, focusing on a whole new group of diverse characters or saying that the whole reason behind this is to have more diversity within the Bat books, I think is blasphemy. Because the reality is, yes, Robin generally, the, the specific Robin character, has almost always been a white male. And I will agree with that statement. There has obviously times where it's been a white female with Stephanie and Carrie, but the majority of the time it's always been a white male. So adding some more diversity makes sense. The issue is that there are a ridiculous amount of characters within the Batman universe that have diversity. And the problem is that they just haven't really done very well with the characters or given them the props that they deserve to make them successful characters. I'm talking about characters like Batwoman, whose series was just killed. Because, uh, not because, but she's, you know, she's part of the LGBT community. So we have one character who had a series, it's being killed. Batwing, another character whose series was killed. An African-American character who is a sidekick for Batman, his series was killed. The problem is, when you focus on these other characters, they don't really figure out ways to make these characters enjoyable to promote the sales in some way, I guess, because they just do not tend to last. 
There are a million other characters that have been part of the Batman universe that have not seen any focus as of the New 52, or even a mention in the New 52 that are also part of the diversified part of the Bat family, but they just choose not to use them, and they just want to continue to create new characters. Now, I'm all for expanding the universe and, and creating the new and creating new characters, but when it's at the expense of characters that have already existed and you're not focusing on them, perfect example, Tim Drake. We still have not seen a Tim Drake series since the beginning. People may argue that Teen Titans is the Tim Drake book, but that's not his book. It's a team book, and he's just one element of that book. So the problem is when you have characters that, one, have proven that they can they can sell books, as Robin was the basically the third longest-running series within the Batman universe up until the New 52 happened, and you're not, you're not doing anything. So, I mean, like, I just feel like, and I don't want to come across as I'm not for diversity, because I am, but we see Cassandra Kane, who's Asian, and she hasn't been used at all other than the one Future's End issue. There's other characters, there's there's other female characters that have, have haven't been used very well. There's other characters that exist pre-New 52 that haven't been used very well or at all that they still haven't done anything with. And it's just using the excuse of diversity, I think, is is kind of a cop-out. I don't know if this book was done for diversity's sake. I find that very few things are done for diversity's sake. I think that that's probably an excuse that a lot of people use. This is going to be a Duke Thomas book, and that's fine. I don't, I mean... I really don't care. I mean, it's, it's, we're going to get it. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, but the other thing too is when, when they redid the new 52, if they really wanted to make characters more diverse, they could have changed the ethnic, they could have changed the ethnicity of Tim Drake. I mean, there was no reason not to, if you were going to take major changes when we relaunched the new 52, and if you really thought that the Batman universe needed more diversity, then they should have made bigger steps to do it. Um, I think that that's just kind of a buzzworthy way for them to say, Check out this new Robin book. Um, so that's my opinions on it. I don't feel like there's a real diversity issue. Um, and I don't have a problem with it either. Like, I'm fine with it. I just don't consider that to be the real reason why we're getting. I agree with Ed there. And, uh, I, I had a discussion of this recently because I think it's something we really do need to sit down and have some sort of chat about, you know, diversity and is diversity company-wide or is it within a a book in general or is it within a family of books i think that's that would be that's one of my main questions what dc's um desire is for if it's to have this is it a diverse universe is it a diverse bat universe or are we picking one book and having diversity spill out into there and that's something i've been wrestling with for a long time, uh, and it's really started since Birds of Prey. Of course, that's done. Uh, I have no problem with with a, a black Robin. Uh, to be honest, this whole discussion for me is very deja vu because, I'm sorry, Dustin, but it reminds me <laughs> back to when I was on another show that dealt with Spider-Man, and Miles Morales was, the big news was, he's going to be the new Ultimate Spider-Man. And, you know, how was that? And, and he's not only black, but he had some Hispanic as well. And, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of hubbub about that. And I, I have no qualms whatsoever with, you know, if, if we want to do some diversity throughout the universe, whatever. I, I, what I agree with Ed with, uh, what I agree with Ed about is the fact that I think the time for really spicing up the universe 
should have been at the beginning of this universe. Uh, yes, Tim Drake, I think Superman, Superman's an alien. I mean, why not make him some other ethnicity or Aquaman to really show that, hey, they're not of this world. They're, you know, different species or, or whatever that is. And I think that would have been the time because so much change was already coming down the pipe that, you know, what's a little bit more, but now it's, it's like, now they're really pushing the issue for some reason, and it's not flowing as well. I, on the other hand, I have no personal connection with Duke whatsoever. It felt like he was really shoved into our lives anyways, and I know that Dustin would say, well, that's Harper Rowe. That's exactly and, what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> we've been on a show but, together But I will long. say, like I said before, Harper has slowly made up, they've made it up. They've made it up with how she's been written in Eternal, and that's the difference. Duke, again, is this character who's being thrown at us because Snyder created it, and there's not a real reason behind the character having his own book or having or being the lead of this team in this character because, again, it's just another thing that Snyder did. And we've had books like Talon that sp- spun out of things that Snyder did, and it didn't last. So how long is something like this going to last with a character that is is completely unknown? It's one thing if it was a team and it was like Tim Drake leading a team of teenagers and Duke Thomas was part of it. That would make complete sense. You can still have the diversity, but you put a set character in the role or in the main role that you know you're going to be able to to sell stories or sell issues with. Well, I think that we almost have to table this until the next discussion topic because I think this is really what you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like this is really the jux of the next big discussion topic. And as I think we're all starting to see now, everything that we've been talking about over the past couple of months, it absolutely makes sense now. All right. So did you have anything else to say? I know I cut you off. <laughs> I was, I was going to continue on my, my thought there. Uh, just that I have no personal connection to Duke. And I think there isn't as much a reason to have him in a book, especially because we've only seen him here in Endgame, correct? The only time. He was in zero year for okay. very, very briefly. Briefly. And then, yeah, and I feel like perhaps, I mean, we would have more reason for Harper Rowe because she has been, I, I can't really say a mainstay, but we've seen her little, a little bit in the beginning with the, with the talents and the Court of Owls and stuff. And now she's really been present in Eternal. So there's more of a reason to have some sort of character there, whereas this guy has such a short shelf life that we're just not, I don't know, I guess that's the purpose maybe to expand upon him, but I think we just have such a wonderful wealth of Robins already, and I really do wonder where Carrie Kelly went, because she was in a couple of issues of Batman and Robin, now she's gone, but we have such an amazing group already that why not, you know, why not use those rather than starting off a new one, but his ethnicity, not a problem at all for me, I'm just wondering, you know, where are these wonderful people that we could have? We're going to bring this right back up in a minute, but uh, next, on March 10th, uh, DC announces a new definitive future for Batman Beyond. Um, in the midst of all the other news that came out uh, <laughs> that same day, which we'll talk about in a second, there was an early solicitation for the newly announced Batman Beyond, which hints at the possibility of a new Batman. A return to the character's original time and establishing Batman Beyond as the definitive future for the DCU. The solicitation reads, at last, Batman Beyond gets his new, his own ongoing series in the definitive future of the DCU. But this isn't the Beyond that you, you think you know. With the Justice League missing and without Bruce to guide him, this new Batman will need to explore the bizarre world on his own while fighting to raise humanity from an opponent that's already won. The heroes Batman knew have failed, the world he knew has been turned on its head, and every step he takes will lead him either toward finding home or further down the road of disaster. 
So the biggest thing out of this is that there's still rumors floating around that it could be Tim Drake inside the, the costume and not Terry McGinnis. Um, the, we, we've had some clues. Uh, the cover for Future's End number 46 uh, features Batman Beyond presumably being shot and someone mourning his death. Um, we also saw that uh, there was a Future's End promo image with Tim Drake holding the Batman uh, cowl. Uh, with the, the words, your future, leading us to believe that he could, in fact, become Batman. Um, but there was a couple interviews that were, be, that were being, that were done. Dan Jurgens talked with DC Comics about integrating Batman Beyond into the DC Universe to actually make it so that it actually is the future of the DC Universe, not just its own separate thing as part of the animated universe. Um, they also talked to Newsarama about some of the different things, and they said that, uh, They've been playing around with the future and show that the world would be like within the DCU 35 years from now. So it's very similar to the way Future's End would close, um, but it's 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 going to basically be the future. So imagine what we saw with Future's End back in September, but instead of five years into the future, we see 35 years into the future, and that's what it's going to be. So. That's that's basically it. Uh, there was also there was also said that there will be a uh, the suit and its powers would be fairly fairly similar, but there would be some opportunities to explore some new possibilities. We'll see a new cast of supporting characters and villains, and Bruce Wayne will still be in the picture as a mentor, but uh, he's probably not going to be around at least for the first issue given the solicitation. So, uh, any thoughts on Batman Beyond? Uh, here's my thoughts on this. Two things. I have two major thoughts on this. Uh, one. This story really got lost, I think, because of, of, of when it oh, got yeah. put out. No, oh, no yeah. doubt about it. I mean, just at that point, they threw so much stuff out that the people miss it. If 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 they were going to continue to use Tim Drake in the current DCU the way they were, then I would rather see him in it. Because essentially, and I think that if Dustin, I know you've seen him sell. I'm sure you've seen these promo images. If it's not Tim Drake, then they're just screwing with people. Yep. Right. Like if it's not, they're just mad because it's it's so obvious that that's supposed to be the future. Um. So if, and then that would mean that if that's the future, and that happens in Future's End, and Future's End becomes canon as the official future, which would make, which is what it is, which make a lot of this make sense. We see Duke Thomas and all that stuff in Future's End. But anyway, one, like I said, if you're going to use Tim Drake like you're using him, I'm totally fine with this. This is essentially a backdoor way of Tim Drake getting his own book as a grown-up. I can live with that. No problems with it. Happy will probably read it. My only problem with it, and it's not so much how this is going to be wrote, because I have no idea because I haven't read it, but I always have a problem with these definitive future books just because it's very limited. You know, it's like us us leading in-game and knowing that nothing's going to happen to Alfred in Eternal. I never like it when you can see the future. So if we see Wonder Woman or Bruce Wayne in, in Batman Beyond, then we know that nothing's going to happen to their characters over the next 30 years. I always find that paints creators into a corner. The reality is, though, from what we've seen with continuity now, it's not going to be an issue. They're going to do what they want. But um, that's my only problem with books like this, but I'm excited that at least it appears that Tim Drake's going to be getting his own title, even if it's just kind of an untraditional Tim Drake title. All right, so now we get into the big news. Also on March mm. 10th, which was what Ed was talking about when he said uh, this news kind of over overshadowed the Batman Beyond news. Um, so there was so basically <laughs> all new Batman was announced, and the end of single line continuity coming in June. So before we talk about Batman, um, there was an interview that was done with Dan DiDio and Jim Lee over at Comic Vine, and they talked about how what their what what 
the idea behind the June relaunch or mini relaunch, as some have called it, would be different than the New 52. Now, I know this is probably going to be why are you going to read all of this, but I think that this is extremely important, and that's why I'm going to exactly read what their comments were. So Jim Lee said, It's a big launch. I think it differs from what we did four years ago in the New 52. We are sort of updating the line, but selectively. Rather than having 52 books all in the same continuity and really focusing on keeping a universe that is tightly connected in super internal consistency and really like one flavor, we've really kind of broken it up. We'll have a core line of 25 books that will have the internal consistency that will consist of our best-selling books. The rest of the line of about 24 titles will be allowed to really shake things up. We're really asking the creators to put stories and characters first and really focus on canon than continuity. Continuity is where the character was today, and this is where the character was tomorrow. There are things that sometimes the readership gets too wound up or too concerned about. It starts overshadowing what we're in the business of doing, which is telling stories. By focusing on canon, which is really the stories that matter, the best stories we tell with these characters, they'll get elevated. That's the history we want to create with these characters. It was really weird when we launched the New 52. There were so many fans focused on, well, what happened between the five years when this character showed up and this character? It almost overshadowed the original intent of what it was, which was basically put a fresh face on the universe, boldly go forward and tell new stories. This is an attempt to refocus the line, focus on story, focus on producing great stories that become canon, and let the creators have some freedom to tell those stories without having to necessarily be confined by the resurgence of continuity. That's my perspective on it. So then Dan DiDio went on to say that uh, he liked the days when stories like The Dark Knight Returns were possible, when writing stories uh, could be classified as Elseworlds stories was possible. Uh, and they can't exactly, or they, they didn't say exactly which titles will fit within the label of the core line of the 25 books. Dio did say that the idea behind this move would be a return to the notion of creative stories taking precedence over coherent continuities. He specifically said, The goal of everything we're doing right now is we still have a shared universe. We still have a shared space where the characters can interact. The main goal is to allow each of these characters to really exist on their own, build their own sense of story, direction, supporting cast and audience. Once you do that, you have a much stronger foundation for the DC universe. Ultimately, what happens as you see what you as you see what works, you can start bringing ideas and concepts together to actually expand the audience and cross pollinate. If you look back at DC's history or even the comics history, most of the characters that exist today traveling in a group that wasn't the case when they were first introduced. Every character existed and breathed in his own right. When they crossed over, it was special. What we want to do is make those individual things special again. But we recognize that there's changes and there's new readers coming in. When one you once you get a new fan, you want to hold on to them. This is different. There are no overarching brand on this. This is DC Comics, pure and simple. Because it's DC Comics, we have to literally go out and sell every single title individually, which is what we want. Every one of these books is its own entity. So then they went on to comment that there would be a new status quo for Batman, Superman, and Justice League, which would be reflected in the books that directly relate to the character or team of, or, and the creative teams on the lead title for each of the character were instructed to write as if their upcoming issues were a new number one. And obviously what I'm about to talk about once we comment about this seems to be the case with Batman. So continuity is dead except in 25 issues. 25 books. Yeah, 25 books. <laughs> Because yeah, I was like, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> okay, here's my thoughts on this. I 
that's not going to be what probably you're expecting me to say. This part of the conversation, I actually have no problem. And here's why. It was really obvious you couldn't keep 52 books in one single continuity, right? Like, it, was, it wasn't working. It was... There was too much stuff going on. It just, it wasn't working. There was stuff overlapping. So if you're dialing it down and you're telling me that we're going to have 25 core books, which make up the universe. And I did find a list of them online and detective obviously and Batman are part of the core universe. Um, and Damien, some of Batman is part of the core universe too. So it, it, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with that part of it. I think that if you maybe if you only have 25 books that are part of the core continuity, that you can actually keep continuity straight now. So I actually think that this is probably realistically a step forward for continuity because we might actually have a chance of it now. Um, and I kind of like the idea of having 25 books that, that we, they can be more free with because now instead of having to do it in the main continuity, what you would think is if a creator had a crazy idea for a character, right, you would do it outside of continuity. And now we'll have the freedom to do that. Like, hey, you want to do something kind of off map? Hey, let's put you in one of the non-continuity books. So I think that this actually could work well for all of us. I love the Elseworlds book. I hope they have more stuff that is so far out of continuity. A Batman six-issue miniseries in the 1800s, a Superman series in the future. I think that that kind of stuff is fun, and that would be great. And I think that this is a great place where we can ship the crazy off-book ideas so actually what they're saying here, although I, I can understand where people may be against it, I think this might be the only hope we have for getting real continuity back. So I am actually okay with this part of this release. I guess I'm still slightly confused as to how this works. Um, so if, if Batman and there's this core continuity, 25 issues, so whatever happens will have ripples potentially. So if Alfred's hand gets cut off, in an issue of Batman, and he appears in Detective, probably Alfred's hand should not be there. I understand that. However, does that mean that the book's outside, right? So Batgirl is not on that core list. Batgirl is, by the way. Batgirl is? Is on the core list. Yep, okay. I got it right here. Okay, so, uh, I mean, I just wonder about other books that may have to do with that character. Will they never interact with Batman if they're outside of that list? Not part of the storylines, no. Okay, so he could appear, but it won't have anything to do with that 25, and it could just be some other nice little story. Yep, I mean, the, the, the Batman books on the list is Batgirl, Batman, Batman, Superman, Catwoman, Detective Comics, Gotham by Midnight, Grayson, Gotham Academy, and the Justice League books. Those are the only Batman books that look like they're part of main content. So not We Are Robin. Uh, no, we are, we, we are Robin and Robin, sorry, they were there because I wasn't looking for any Batman. We are Robin and Damien, son of Batman, are also included in the main continuity. So that means... Almost all the bad books are. I'm trying to think of what else isn't. So Batman Beyond, which would be its own thing anyway. Because that's the future, I guess it's its own thing. And it looks like what it is, is the majority of the new books aren't part of the continuity. It looks like... Which makes the, sense. Yeah, the books that they held over that were the original books, it looks like all of them made it, even like... Lobo, which is only on issue number seven, is considered part of main continuity. So it looks like all the books that they kept are continuity-driven, and all the new books are the non-continuity. Yeah. So basically, out of all the books that are going to be part of this 25 line, 44%, not including the Justice League books, are Bat books, uh, including Teen Titans. So again, it's not really, again, it, it seems like almost a repeat of what we heard pre-New 52, where... All the stuff that happened before the New 52 with Batman still happened. And in some ways, 
with all of the Bat books still seemingly being involved in the main continuity, the Bat books really aren't being affected by this, other than some of the new ones like Bat Mites, Batman Beyond. So, I mean, like, realistically, there's not a whole lot here that is really changing as far as the Batman books when it comes to continuity. That being said, we talked about this last episode, you know, continuity is pretty much dead. Ed said it. It pretty much is. I mean, the reality of it is, even though the Bat books right now have been intertwining, there's still problems. We had a humongous discussion about when exactly Batman and Robin takes place in the midst of Batman Eternal and Batman Endgame. We have no idea. And how it's going to seemingly all make sense after this one month when, you know, Robin's, uh, or Damien's son of Batman, or Robin's son of Batman is coming out in June and is also going to be part of this continuing line of, of, uh, continuity, but it hasn't, the Batman Robin really hasn't fit with everything else that's been going on. So, I'll say this. Everybody knows I'm a continuity freak. I've got the wall of continuity, and the reality of it is, I love continuity. I love the, you know, the building of a giant universe instead of having individual things here and there. But I still understand the reasoning behind this. It makes no sense to try to make everything make sense. It doesn't really make a lot of sense that all of the Bat Books are still being included in this because we already know that the Bat Books have had a problem making it all make sense. I feel like the reason behind the, a lot of the Bat Books staying in part of this core line of bat books is because the majority of the the majority of the bat books still are will have the ability to cross over with other things as we've seen multiple times Snyder does some sort of you know storyline and it's an event and we see crossovers almost all the time we've seen endgame this month so i'm i'm okay with continuity being constrained to a very small percentage of the books because it makes it, it, it does come across much better that way than it does any other way if, if i may continue i keep getting i know i cut know off. What's happening. this uh this uh i i yes i think that if we are going to continually criticize i think continuity and how it seems like some things you know people are popping up and wait a minute they haven't popped up before what are the consequences here then i think it will be great to keep it to those 25 issues so that we can go in knowing full well that there should be some sort of continuity and i think this will make perhaps the strings just magically come off of Dustin's continuity wall because everything will seem to potentially align. I, I, I guess I'm just, it, it's going to be weird to go into a mindset reading other books, um, like, per, like Gotham Academy, if that was not on the list. It going, is. Be, it is on the list. Okay. I guess I wasn't listening too well with that 25. I need yeah, to see it in writing. The only books that are not on the list is Batman Beyond, Batmite, and I think did you say, did you say Red Hood? It's not definitively on the list. Basically what, what, I mean, but here's, you know, I, I don't know how much they're going to change this between now and they come out either. You know how this is. Yeah. But no, I just wonder. It should be on the list. Sorry. I mean, like I said, I, you can tell by the solicitation list that been published, like which ones are in and which ones are out of continuity. And I know Batgirl is the one that says that the new Batman's hunting down Batgirl, whatever that's worth. And then the Red Hood ones don't seem to have anything with it. So. I don't, I'm not even sure they know which 25 are in or out, but this is what list they put out. So I'll well, let's hope they do. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I'll shut up now. Stella. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, so I guess maybe it, it doesn't even, uh, impact me because all the books that I'll be reading are in this 25, but I wonder as a reader outside of that, what mindset you have to go into 
to say, because I, I feel like it's not going to say Elseworlds. It's not going to have that little title there. So going into this mindset and seeing something really big happening and then wondering, is this going to impact what's going on and it not happen? Uh, so that'll just be interesting to be on the outside of those core 25. But I also wonder, I mean, we're saying how they it was too hard for them to stay in continuity, but weren't they doing a pretty okay job before New 52 happened? I mean, yes, of course, the crises messed everything up, but I feel like in general, like there was a pretty solid continuity. So I feel like maybe uh, New 52 just messed all sorts of things up and then it was just too hard to maintain. But I, I'm good with the 25 books. I think that should be good. Uh, but it'll be an interesting experiment, I think, and let's see how long it lasts. I think the the main thing is the New 52 did mess things up because at first they were saying for certain books, things still occurred, nothing's really changed, and then they, they were saying with other books, no, things are completely different. And that was the biggest difference. You know, you're looking at the Bat books and they were saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah, all those great stories that you've read in the past, they've all still happened. And it's I guess if you were talking about in continuity, they were all still happen. That didn't make any sense. But maybe they all were just saying the same line over and over again. And what they really meant was they've all still been published because that's where they are. And maybe that, maybe that's why we've thought all this time the wrong thing. But I guess the biggest thing is I'm, I'm, I'm fine with other books taking a risk, going outside of continuity, doing other things because if you have the ability to tell a good story and it, and it just does not work within continuity, by all means, I want to read it. You know, there's no reason I wouldn't want to read something like that. That's the thing. So, like, my my biggest problem is that they try sometimes, a lot of times, with a lot of the supporting books that don't really tie in that well with the other books, they, they try to, like, have these small things or they try to have a one-month crossover in the midst of a giant storyline that's happening in the middle of the book. We saw that with Birds of Prey during Gothtopia and uh, the Zerior tie-in, where the entire story was disjointed because you had one month of the main storyline, Zerior, one month of the main storyline, Gothtopia, one month of the main storyline. And it was completely broken up, and by the time it's all said and done and published, it doesn't make any sense of why it was published the way it was. So I'm for series being outside of continuity if they're good. You know, if they turn it into, if they turn it into, you know, just a place to throw stories, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. But I feel like, you know, there's so many different Batman series that have existed in the past, like Legends of the Dark Knight, uh, Batman Confidential, where they were series that were focusing on outside of main continuity Batman stories. And some of the stories that came out of those were really, really good. Some of them were so good that they ended up deciding to make them part of continuity. But, that wasn't the original intent with the series. The intent was just to tell individual Batman stories. So in some ways, I think it's a great idea. Talked about this for a little too long, so I'm going to move into the biggest <laughs> news because obviously this That's is That's not the biggest the... news? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. All right. So the other biggest news that also happened on March 10th was the uh, introduction of a brand new Batman. So to describe what this new Batman is, I can basically say, think of a mech Batman suit with rabbit ears and what appears to be some sort of <gasps> GCPD blue scarab on his back. It's Chappy. Yeah, Chappy, Bat Bunny, uh, Robo Bats. You know, I, I've heard all kinds of different things about how to describe this suit. Um, 
somebody's in the suit and it's, we don't know who it is. Um, Snyder gave an interview on, on Newsarama talking about the, the new suit. And he said, it's true that you've never seen it. It's definitely the wackiest thing we've ever tried. It's basically the story where I thought, if I ever do a story out of continuity, I'd love to do this. But there's no way I can change the mythology to a degree that I could get this to this, I could get to this story. But here we are. I'm not even going to bother reading the rest because that just says it right there. You know, the, the, the basis of this is that, you know, we talked about this earlier when we talked about, uh, what they were, what the, current creators on the books that weren't getting relaunched in June were told. They were told to write their stories as if they were brand new number ones to get new people to come in. Obviously, Snyder is doing that with uh, presumably some sort of mechanical or robo-bat suit. I don't know. I will say this, okay? When I first saw this suit, I was kind of taken aback the the cover for the, I think it's Batman number forty one is the issue that this is coming out and the cover image was shown and kind of taken aback by the the suit itself but the other thing was that the robot is hand, holding a gun a smoking gun um, and there's a couple of different things that I have a problem with I will say this I I was not very happy about the idea of the Batman main title going in this drastic of a change and difference of what we've been seeing. The fact that, again, this book is part of continuity and it's Scott Snyder means that every book is going to reflect this change. That is a problem that I have, especially when Snyder says himself, this is a wacky idea that I thought would be awesome, but it was supposed to be out of continuity and now it's happening in kind. I had a problem with it. I'm going to reserve my judgment on it until it comes out in June because we don't know who's in the suit. We also know that whoever's in the suit is directly reflected to something that happens at the end of Endgame, as he says, and that's part of the reason why Batman number 40 is being delayed to right before Free Comic Book Day. Two questions. Thoughts on the suit, and who do you think is in the suit, if there is somebody in the suit? I don't have, I mean, listen, the suit looks kind of goofy, but listen, I mean, we've had everything from the Hellbat to the Hazbat, you know, so if it's just a goofy, what I'm about to say is going to sound stupid, but if it's just a goofy suit, I almost don't even care. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I thought this was a goofy suit we were going to use for a story arc, I wouldn't care at all. I'd be like, all right, we've had some goofy-looking suits over the years. This one is no different. The other part about the, the interview they get into is where he starts talking about the fact that it's going to be an all-new cast of characters. You know? It's going to be Harper. It's going to be Julia. It's going to be... I mean, in, in some way, you, Snyder's been showing us this hand for three years. Like, I want to do this. I want to take a a whole new direction with a whole new cast. And they're going to let him do it. And like you even read in your interview, I don't think he even thought they'd let him do it. You know? But they did. Um, so the suit, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's, if that's a permanent fixture, it's weird looking. There's no doubt about it. The ears, I I texted, tossed it on Wednesday. It's what's up with the bat rabbit? You know, like, so I don't know. Now, who's inside the suit? Listen, I mean, I, one would assume it's Bruce Wayne because I don't see, I mean, Dick Grayson's off with Spiral, right? I don't see anybody who is really ready to become Batman. I mean, Tim Drake in this universe is not ready to become Batman by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know. I don't think anyone's ready to be Batman except Batman, uh, unless Dick comes back. And I think that's a lot to happen in Batman Endgame is to have Dick all of a sudden come back. I guess the only other thing, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to make Dustin's head explode. Maybe it's Julia Pennyworth controlling the suit. I mean, I could see that, you know, Alfred and Bruce go off on a 
sabbatical because of Alfred's cutoff hand and Julia's left behind and she makes this kind of robo suit to patrol Gotham. That would make sense in a way. In some ways, that does make sense. If you bring in some of his other comments, he also said that he was, that, uh, the book is going to, uh, like he said before, or like Ed said, bring in characters you haven't seen before in Batman. Uh, it also, he also said that they're going to play with a lot of the other books, including characters from We Are Robin and Batgirl. You're going to see Harper and Cullen, characters that he's created, um, just with a different feel. That, that Julia Pennyworth thing makes, sense if you combine it with the idea of Harper's going to be in the book too, knowing her tech, you know, savviness that we've had. The fact that Batgirl is also going to possibly be in the book or be involved with the book means that that character is going to be in it. Uh, some of the characters from We Are Robin, who have, who we'll talk about later in the spotlight for the Detective Comics uh, Endgame tie-in, um, some of those characters are also tech-savvy. So, it's entirely possible that Bruce Wayne is just not around with Alfred, and that's why it's happening. So it is a possibility. I've got another possibility, but Stella, go ahead. Okay, if Mixia's Pitlick doesn't criticize you two for saying that about the sabbatical, I'm going to throw something, because I was the first person to say that he went off, uh, he was going to go off and do something, and I got criticized. Yeah, but there's a difference there. You specifically said he's been gone since the beginning of Batman Eternal. And it's been Dick Grayson this entire time. There's a difference there. No, no, that wasn't this talking about later on. I did say that he was gone, but were we all, it was recent because we brought up Endgame. Endgame had it started there. It was something else. I said he went on vacation, right? But I didn't really mean vacation. Anyways, I just wanted to say that. I that, do know what you're talking about in regards yeah. to that kind aha, of. Aha, aha. Anyways, okay, let's see here. Oh, okay. So, first of all, I don't think they're actually... I think there's got to be a purpose to these rabbit ears, as you're calling them. I think it's not just a superfluous detail. I'm sure it's an antenna of some sort. And I don't think it's Bruce Wayne in there because we've seen his robo-suits before. And uh, especially... I mean, most recent memory, of course, with Batman and Robin. And I don't think that that is him. Also, if you look at the image with Capullo, uh, just the way it's very much a a bottlenecked figure, so I believe it to be a, a female. Just you see the waist is very tiny, and then and then goes out. So, uh, I at first I was thinking before I was thinking about the female. I thought maybe it's you know Alfred, and something even worse has happened. He's almost he needs this suit as life support. But because I do think it's a female, I wouldn't be surprised if it were Harper, because we saw in Eternal that her armor somewhat gets damaged. Or, uh, Julia Pennyworth. But, um, someone needs to be at the controls though if Bruce and Alfred go away, which I was the first one to say that. So someone, so I wonder, you know, who would be at the controls if, uh, if Julia wasn't there. So I'm actually gonna put my, my claim, my stakes on Harper Row. Okay, so my, my, my theory is this. I'll get to my thoughts on the suit in a second, but my theory on who it could be is, I actually think it's Jim Gordon. Whoa! Yeah, I know it's way out there. And the reason being is the the cover art, if you look at that that thing on the back of his suit, he actually has red and blue lights like police police lights. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's holding a gun makes me believe that, you know, it's entirely possible. I also feel like after the events of Eternal and Endgame, Batman is going to be brought back into the mix at GCPD and they're going to welcome Batman's help with open arms. The fact that this is kind of going to cross over is the fact that I think it's going to end up being James Jim Gordon. The fact that Jim Gordon is not 
back as the police commissioner, at least as, what, as, as far as what we've seen in Endgame, after whatever happens with him getting out of jail at the end of Eternal, we see that he's working with Batman. He's not working with the police in Endgame. So where does Jim Gordon go from here? I feel like this would be the way he's kind of the link between mending the relationship between the GCPD and Batman. And if Batman's gone, he gets the suit, you know, but it also obviously has a lot of repercussions elsewhere because in some way he has to get brought into the fold as far as, you know, does he know who he's talking to on the other end of the comlink? You know, does he know it's Julia? Does he know that he's working with these other characters and who they are? Does he figure out who Batgirl is? There's a lot of different things. Also, the uh, cover for Detective Comics number 41 features the the RoboBat again. And the the RoboBat is actually standing gun in hand with a bunch of other GCPD officers. So that's just, and, and the blue light, red and blue lights are very prominent there too. Now, if it's not Jim Gordon, but it's still part of the police department, I don't, I honestly couldn't tell you who it is. Um, I don't feel like, I, I, I like your guys' ideas of, you know, it's either just a suit that someone's controlling or it's somebody in the suit and possibly a, a female character. I, 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 I think that both of those ideas make sense with at least what we've been given, but I feel like it doesn't make any sense for either one of those to work out with why there's, he, this character is so involved with the GCPD. Now, you know, Stella brought up our good friend John Mixelplick, and I I have to bring up a comment that he made uh, recently. Uh, John Mixelplick was uh, listening to an ep- episode nine of the Gotham Chronicle, where I voiced my displeasure with the show, and he 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 made this big long comment about the fact that uh, he encourages people who read the comics to do to to just let it go because Gotham is creating its own Batman canon. So if so then he goes into talking about all of these different things about why exactly it makes sense just to let Gotham create its own universe and not hold it to the continuity of the comics makes makes sense what he's saying. The problem is that I'm not going to really talk about the show other than I just feel like the show is poorly written and that's the main problem I have and I probably didn't communicate that very well in episode 9. But this is the same idea, you know, the the idea of me voicing my displeasure for something is based off of one, my opinion. It's not the reflect, it doesn't reflect the views and opinions of every single person who one works for the Batman universe and two, every fan out there. It's just my opinion. That's all it is. So when I, when I say, you know, I don't like the idea of doing something specifically this robo bat suit, you know, it, it, it's, it's just because that's my opinion. And, Everybody's completely free to voice their opinion, you know, at least if you're in the United States and other countries that have a democracy and have freedom of speech, you're entitled to your opinion. When I say I don't like something, it's because of, you know, the history that I have with the character or a number of other things. With this robo suit, specifically dealing with the robo suit, it's just a huge change. The biggest thing that turns me off from this idea, and like I said, I am going to hold my judgment for when the issue actually comes out so we so I so it's not just a immediate gut reaction, look at the suit, I hate it, look at Snyder's reactions, hate them, I can't stand this, I hate it, refuse to pick it up, we're not covering it, blah blah blah. That's not the case. The thing is, when Snyder makes a comment saying this is the wackiest thing we've ever we've ever come up with, 
this was the story that I thought that I would write if I was never writing, if I wasn't writing stuff in continuity. And here it is, where it's happening. That's a problem, because when the writer himself is, is saying that he is specifically, he's come up with this amazing idea, but it would never have worked within continuity, and now he's, he's making it work within continuity, and all of the other books are also going to have to make this work within continuity. That's a problem, because you're taking one writer's idea, and his crazy idea, and he's basically dictating what all the other books have to do. And I don't like that. And that happens a lot of times with Snyder. And I'm not saying that Snyder is bad, and, and a lot of, you know, I've had problems with some of the stuff he's done, but a lot of the stuff is really good. And it turns out fine. But the problem is, when it has to intertwine with everything else, almost every single group or a crossover that we've had amongst the Bat books that's involved that started from Snyder's Snyder's run on Batman. I'm talking, you know, Night of the Owls, uh, the the Joker, the Joker crossover, the uh, Zero Year crossover. All of those really didn't work that well. There were some of them that worked well, some of them that didn't. Um, but the majority of them, the crossovers didn't make sense. Interrupted the series, and then some of those series ended up getting canceled because there just wasn't enough. Okay, I, I won't blame the crossover for the, the series being canceled. But you can see that the, that somebody at DC was like, this is more important to cross over with Snyder's stuff than it is to tell their own story and create their own identity. And that's a problem. So when you have books that now have to reflect Snyder's view on however he's viewing things, there's too much creative control that Snyder has. And that's the problem I have. Well, there's two things here I want to address. One is, I don't think this is going to be around for long, right? Like, I, I think that, by Christmas, we'll be on to back to regular Batman stuff. I Pro- don't well, think probably. Let's hope so, since yeah. Snyder has promised us no more long 6-12 yeah. to 12 issue story arcs. So I think that this is going to be something that is, I don't want to say is gimmicky, but I think it's gimmicky. I don't think that there's any doubt by the end of December or October, we'll have Bruce Wayne back and, back and everything will kind of go back to normal. I could be totally wrong. I do think that there's a little bit of editorial problem here. I don't blame Snyder. Snyder's a writer. They're supposed to be creative, and, and editors are supposed to make make writers act sane, right? Like, I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. I think the fact that he pitched something out of continuity and they put it into continuity just sounds like they're letting him do whatever he wants to, whether if it's a good idea or not. Now, again, I don't know. I haven't read it. My, we might read this and think this is the coolest thing ever, you know? And I think your idea of being Jim Gordon, if we were going to get Jim Gordon to take over for an injured Batman for six months that could actually be cool you know what i'm saying like yeah. it's it's short it's it's not forever batman's out with alfred or whatever and we get jim gordon trying to repair the bridge between the gcpd and batman by assuming the role that could be a very that would be interesting to read and if it was going to be short term they're back to normal i could totally live with it like you said we can't really make any inferences because we haven't read it yet you know uh, but i do think that if this is something that is totally insane it's more editorial's fault than, than writers. Writers are supposed to think outside the box. Editorial's supposed to drag him back down. I, I think we've already seen, though, how much power he has. Yeah. Oh, he can uh, do anything he wants. Previously, yeah. yeah, with that. I, I'm more concerned with, it, it sounds like to me, ideas are running out. And so now, <laughs> you know, this out of continuity thing, maybe there wasn't something in the works already. So they're like, yeah, let's bring that in there. And that, that concerns me. Those sort of last minute decisions already being changed. And this seems like something that's really big. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, so it's a, it's a little disconcerting, but I, I guess we'll see. I, I'm hopeful that it'll make for a good story. I think that's all we can really do. Well, it does seem like we're going to get the, the answers in Endgame, doesn't it? Isn't that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it does seem like that last Especially since game. now that it's delayed and it's leading into the free comic book day, which is going to preview what we're going to see in Batman, it makes complete sense. Yeah, I just hope this isn't one of those things where we're left for five months trying to figure out who's inside the suit, which I'm not saying. Left for <laughs> 12 months with Eternal. But. Yeah. All right, so that was obviously the biggest news. Just a couple more small things. So on March 11th, uh, kind of an update on Peter Tomasi and his upcoming Bat title that no one knows about. So a lot of people were assuming that once it was announced that uh, Batman Robin was ending and Patrick Gleason would be taking over as the writer for the upcoming Robin, Son of Batman book, uh, Peter Tomasi was leading the Batman universe. Uh, a lot of people have also realized that he's currently doing the Batman Arkham Knight prequel comic that is it's already been releasing. Uh, they're on uh, Chapter 4 as of right now. Um, but Or while you're listening to this, I believe Chapter 5 is already released. But the the reality of it is, uh, Patrick Gleason, he, made a, he tweeted out something that said, for those asking post-Batman Robin, uh, Peter Tomasi has been working on his own awesome Bat book to be announced, mm-hmm. and I'll be writing Robinson of Batman. So then Tomasi went on to say that uh, he confirmed that he is working on something that will come out in October, and then something else that will be coming out in early 2016. So it seems, at least from his comments, that uh, whatever he's got planned is coming out towards the end of the year and it's still part of the Batman universe. Now, one thing that I, I kind of want to point out is that just so happens that uh, also on March 11th, there was another interview that was posted up on SuperheroHype.com uh, with Scott Snyder talking about the work that, or all of the changes that were coming to Batman. But kind of hidden amongst the entire article, there was a couple of little small questions about Batman Eternal and and uh, talking about Batman and uh, Batman Eternal in, in year two of Batman Eternal. Um, the specific revelation is that the second year of Eternal will reflect on upcoming changes to the status quo of Batman, but will also prominently feature the character of Robin. While the first year of Batman Eternal was meant to be a celebration of the 75th anniversary for the Dark Knight, year two of the title will be a similar celebration for the 75th anniversary of the Boy Wonder. When asked about the second volume of the title, uh, Snyder commented, Year 2 is definitely happening, and it's really celebrating Robin's 75th anniversary by creating this big story that focuses on the characters that who who have been involved in the franchise as Robins. Um, now, we don't have any more information other than that, but I think it's slightly interesting that uh, Peter Tomasi said that he's got a, something within the Batman universe that's coming out in October and then something early 2016, and we still haven't heard anything about Batman Eternal Volume 2 or Year 2 or whatever you want to call it. So could it be that Peter Tomasi is going to be heading up the Batman Eternal uh, Year 2? Hmm. Um, specifically because Peter Tomasi has obviously got a handle on the Robins. He's written Nightwing. He's written Batman and Robin. He's written Batman and Robin. He's worked with, there was a, an issue right before the uh, New 52 happened where Peter Tomasi had probably one of the best family moments of comics in the last five years where uh, Bruce, Alfred, Dick, Tim, and Damien all sit down and have popcorn and watch a movie. Oh. Uh, you remember that scene? I mean, yes. it was it was a great scene in the comics because you don't see that stuff very often in the Bat books. And Tomasi 
clearly understands all of these characters. So when it comes to Batman Eternal, my vote is, hey, Tomasi leading that up, I'm all for it. Um, that's not to say that this is happening. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's slightly coincident that year two is going to involve the Robins. Tomasi clearly has a handle on the Robins, while Scott Snyder has clearly said that he has no now he has no way of writing to da- Damien. So just connecting the dots. That's all I'm saying. Well, of all the speculation we've had in this episode, this is the one I hope you're right about the most. Tomasi doing a Batman Eternal ish, whatever, Robin Eternal, whatever they want to call it. Uh, I'm totally, totally down with that. That'd be cool. All right. So the last, uh, well, second to last bit of news on Thursday was, uh, it was announced that DC is going to be introducing some price increases coming in June. Now, if you have been paying attention to the, the price of the books that you're paying, you've noticed that, uh, some of the books are obviously higher than they were pre-New 52. Um, specifically, Batman and Detective Comics jumped up to $3.99 after the New 52. And you may remember uh, a while back, it was, I believe, November, when that first issue of Endgame came out, it was 5 bucks. Uh People put up a kind of a fit about it. The creative team, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, went to DC and said, why are we raising the price of the book a dollar more just because it's the top-selling book? doesn't mean that warrants us jacking the price up. 20, uh, you know, uh, another dollar. So, in turn, the price went back down to three ninety nine. Now, a couple of different things happened. Um, first off, Bleeding Cool uh, posted up an article saying that, uh, as you know, I, a lot of people probably don't know the difference, but when you buy comics, you either buy them online, you buy them in a comic shop, or if you, probably you're not listening to this and buying them there, but there's places that still carry comics on the newsstand. This would be like places like Barnes and Nobles or, uh, or Borders. Toys R Us has Borders a huge, section. yeah. Toys R Us has a huge, huge section of comics too. That's what they call newsstand comics. And newsstand comics, the price suddenly has increased as of the end of February. Um, there was Batman number 38 suddenly was 499. Detective Comics 39 was 499. Just League, Batman Superman, all 499. Now, that's not to say that this is going to happen in the comic shops, but it's history has proven that when you see a price at newsstand jump, generally comic shops are somewhere down the line that the, the price is going to jump as well. Now, playing into this, there is announcement that a bunch of the books, uh, other books, are going to be jumping up in price up from two ninety nine to three ninety nine starting in June. Um, these books include Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn Power Girl, Grayson, Robin Son of Batman. Um, all of those books are jumping from uh, $2.99 up to $3.99. There's other DC books included, including Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman. They're all jumping up to $3.99. So is it only a matter of time before we see price increases across the board and $2.99 is not where they're drawing the line? Well, yeah, I think that's all. I mean, I think that that's already happening. Um, I mean, the, the, the more popular books have kind of inched up. I think what you'll probably see is everything kind of go to that 399 price point. Uh, and then the more popular books with the slightly larger page counts go up to 499. The other problem is with the newsstands having a different priced edition. That means if you collect variant covers, you have to go buy the newsstand copies as well because technically those are considered variants. I don't consider them. <laughs> But that's also because I don't really want to spend, you know, $20 to get all of the issues from one book. I just wanted to see if I could get you to run over at Toys R Us and buy a bunch of them. But, no, I've just, seen them. I've seen them at Toys R Us, and I just, like, but, yeah. No. But but technically, I mean, if you're a hardcore, 
right? Yeah, I guess, like yeah. they're, they're they're considered newsstand variants, so um, they would be variants. Now, I, I think that prices and everything will go up. I think that probably by the end of the year or sometime soon after, you'll have the elite books will be four ninety nine. Elite, I mean, just like Batman. Things like that, and your middle of the road books will all be three ninety nine, and I just kind of think that's where we're going. All right, and then the last bit of news is uh, just on Friday, March thirteenth, it was announced that uh, a number of uh, the the variant month or the variant covers for the month of June are going to be Joker themed. Um, now, there's a ton of books that are always included. You can head over to the website and check out the entire group of that books that will have a Joker variant cover come June. But the one that uh, got some controversy online was the cover for Batgirl number 41. Now, if you haven't seen it, just to describe it, Batgirl is uh, basically standing in a very low-lit room. Joker is standing behind her in the costume that he shot her in, uh, the you know, the Hawaiian shirt with the purple fedora hat. Uh, with a gun, he's, he's, he's drawn a bloody smile on her face. She's got a tear running down her face. And he's got a gun in his hand as he holds her around her shoulders. So, the biggest thing is that, obviously, Stella uh, has mentioned this before. She does not really like the book Killing Joke, as it depicts a lot of horrible things for Barbara Gordon. So, the question that that was the big controversy of, about this was of all the different poses that you could have Joker and Batgirl in, why would this be the thing you're focusing on? Listen, here's the other problem I have with it. I don't think Joker is going to be in the storyline, right? So if this was a cover that was drawn due to a specific storyline, then I could see you're referencing something that actually goes on. But since this is just a variant cover that doesn't have anything to do with anything, I think that this choice is unnecessary and poor. And I'm trying to be nice, and I'm going to leave it at that. Because it's not, this isn't a Joker story in the book, right? So you're not like, oh, well, this happened. Right, this is, and the, right. And the variant covers never actually deal with what's happening in the book. They just are their own interpretation of the of whatever character they're focusing on and the character in the series. So we've had Flash variants, we've had Harley Quinn yeah. variants. They never have anything to do, do with what's happening in the book. So this is just, you, you, could have, you could have done any image you want to with Batgirl and Joker, anything. doesn't matter. And the fact that, you know, this is the one they chose to go, to go with, especially, and this is something, and then I'll, I'll, I'll clear off the stand for Stella, who probably has a better thought than I do. But the problem is with the tone of the Batgirl book, right, which has been much more all ages and has been much more fun and lighthearted since the creator changed, this would seem not out of place maybe on Gail Simone's Batgirl, but on the Absolutely. current Bat, on the current Batgirl, this seems woefully out of place. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it doesn't fit the tone of, you know, what is within. And, and I know that variants obviously don't have to have anything to do with what is going on. But I'm thinking about all the previous variants that we've had, like Lego Month and Flash. And even if that, that bedazzled uh, or bejeweled cover that we had, the variant to that one, I mean, it may not have reflected, but I mean, all of them have been fun images to at least reflect the tone of what is going in. Um, my gosh, I thought we were past this. Really, I did. Uh, yes, Batgirl has been fighting Joker's daughter in Eternal. And, you know, we're learning about how she has gotten back from this uh, paralysis. You know, that, that's that been great. But, I mean, it, what 
could there have been some other image to use? I mean, it would have been wonderful if, like, we had actually seen her standing over Joker somehow to show symbolically of how she has been uh, steadily conquering what had, you know, what had come. Oh, my gosh. I just, it's hard to look at for me. <laughs> but it's just it, so many bad memories for me personally. But just the way, like, she is is drawn is it's very, it's disturbing. I mean, it's, it's not the back row that we've been reading. I think that's really the main point to say, and just to have that gun there. And I, you know, the euphemism of course uh, of guns, you've got the, the phallic imagery and, and, you know, I don't know if there's a point for that, but just the fact that there has been, and there will continue to be the debate of whether or not she was sexually assaulted in killing joke. Just this whole thing is like, man, can we can we get it off the page? Is there any way to go back? Who drew it? Do you uh, know? Raphael Albuquerque. And no okay. offense to him because yeah. he was told to draw. Of, of course, of course, yeah. I, and I don't know if um I don't think the team the team may not have known what this variant would have been like. So it would have been interesting, of course, to to hear their thoughts. But yeah, it's sad. Uh, I'm glad I don't buy variants. Are you going to get this, Dustin? Since you get your variants. I don't, I'm, well, I'm a completist, so I probably will, but I feel like just the controversy since it was revealed on Friday is going to end up being a similar situation to, I know this is, you know, against, goes against everything I've ever done, but that Spider-Woman, uh, cover that was, a that was a while back, I think it was like within the last six months that had her in such a weird pose and, oh, that was bizarre. The cover. Uh, it was all over the, all over the sites that I, I'm frequently checking out and I, when I heard that they were pulling that cover because, they 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 did they appreciated the the, the uh, fan outcry and they they pulled it. So I feel like possibly DC could do this. I mean, it's not like there's not enough time for them to get a new variant cover made up for Joker or for Batgirl, or just not to have it. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much the variant covers actually factor into the sales of a book. I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, like I buy them. I know there's other people who buy them, but there are still only so many variants per comic shop. I know that these these variants that they do for variant month there tends to be more than like the one in twenty five or the one in ten variants that they used to do, but I don't know how much it actually factors in. Where if they just didn't do the variants, it wouldn't make a difference. Well, and now that's kind of goofy thing, and the only last point I'll make here is if you look at the rest of the Joker variant covers for that month, right? Most of them are. This is the only one that is like questionable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, if you see the Gotham Academy one, it's the kids in the Academy with a painting of the Joker in the background. Like, the rest of them aren't offensive. And, and the one character, which Stella brought up a valid point that he may or may not have sexually assaulted, which is strange to have in comic books anyway, but is Batgirl. And this is the one they decided to go this way with reeks of someone just not paying attention. All right. So I'll just say it. DC, pull the cover or change it. Do something because I don't feel like it needs to be there. But anyway, all right. So that was all the news. Obviously, like I said, that was all the news. news. Yeah. (laughs) With all the news we've had, that's probably more news than we've had in a very, very long time. So with that, we're going to get straight into our comic reviews. And the first book is Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 40. Anarchy, Conclusion, Manipul, and Buccioletto Storytellers. Uh, this story opens up with Anarchy and his crew still having the Mad Hatter surrounded and getting ready to finish him off. Uh, Batman is helping patch up Bullock uh, before he goes out the window and into the middle of Anarchy's uh, group. With Batman busy fighting Anarchy, um, Bullock and Alfred communicate, and Alfred lets them know that he needs his help to find the source of Anarchy's transmission that is controlling everybody wearing the masks. 
Uh, Alfred helps Bullock triangulate the signal, and they discover a hidden room. Batman tells Bullock over the comms that there is something in that room that is controlling the transmission of all the people wearing the anarchy mask, and, he, and he'll know it when he sees it. The only thing that Bullock really finds in the room is a Mad Hatter's hat. Um, and we see the, kind of through cut screens with Alfred that the riots in Gotham are getting completely out of his, out of control. Bullock uses the note on the Mad Hatter's mask and believes that it is a clue to figuring out the transmission, but nothing really seems to work. Uh, Batman unmasks Anarchy in the fight scene and reveals him to be Congressman Sam Young, who was first introduced by our current storytellers back in the Icarus storyline. He says that for years he tried to work inside the system to put Mad Hatter away, but to no results. Uh, Lester, Jeb Lester, the murdered Wayne uh, executive, was the one selling children, including Sam Young's own sister, Alice, uh, to the Mad Hatter. Uh, Bullock realized the key to controlling the transmission is putting on the hat, and he does so and kills the transmission, controlling everyone. Uh, the revolution is over, and Sam Young is taken into prison. In the hospital, we see Bullock recovering and our friend Lonnie getting out of the hospital where he is handed a box of belongings, including an anarchy mask. Young and Hatter are both locked away, and Bruce tells Alfred that Batgirl is getting close to putting all the digital data back, and the two of them talk of a day in the future where Gotham may no longer need its Dark Knight. I have two questions here. Uh, one is, is you know, we see that this story, essentially, and we kind of hit on this last week, but now that this actually, we, I feel like we actually got one right. I'm, I'm kind of happy about it. This looks like this is a long origin for Lonnie to become the anarchy or maybe a new version, but the anarchy that we know. So what do you think of this, you know, th this longer origin for anarchy now that we've seen it completely? Do you think this is a good origin for, for anarchy in the new 52? I, th I think it could work. You know, I guess the, the problem that I have is it made it seem like at the beginning of this story arc that Lonnie was that character before that he became money spider. Like we know has happened in the actual history of the character. And that's why Batman went to him first and was like, do you have anything to do with this? And he was like, no, I don't have anything to do with this. And now it feels like he's going to go back to being anarchy. I don't have a problem with this being an origin for Lonnie I, in any way. I feel like the the thing is, I, I feel like this, if it's just an origin for Lonnie and this is a slow build to that, by all means, I'm for it. I think it could be interesting. I like the idea of Lonnie going back to being anarchy, but in an updated manner. I'll just, I, you know, it's it's fine. For me, like seeing all of it now come full circle, I feel like the end doesn't necessarily reflect where we were at the beginning because it was all very personal to him, which I feel like this has, this has consistently been what the message has been with these new villains that, uh, it's usually familial. It has something to do with that. Most often parents, uh, some sort of tragedy has happened to spur them on. Uh, either they did it or, you know, something else happened and, and just some, some sort of thing broke. And okay, so we have that. That's staying in line with everything because this is he is good. But I think back, you know, when we started this and how he was attacking, uh, Wayne Enterprises and freeing everyone to a certain extent and, and their lives. And I, I don't know if it really reflects this personal vendetta. Uh, I mean, yes, it, it, it uses Mad Hatter. So there was a bit of a hint of that the entire way through this story and, and, you know, that tech inside the mask, but to, you know, actually create chaos and anarchy 
I don't know if it reflects like this personal mission statement as, as much. So I feel like we, we started off with one story and we ended with another and either way, I guess it could have, it could have worked out if we were more, um, thorough, but I, I, I think we had more of an interesting storytelling at the very beginning. And then at the end, it, it fell flat for me. Uh, no, I, I, I kind of look this at, at this as the origin of Lonnie becoming Anarchy. And I think in the new 52, Dustin, I know what you talk. I think that the way this is being presented here, he was never Anarchy. He was Money Spider. And now he's going to transition into Anarchy. And I think that I kind of like the, I, I really like the way this ended up. I think that this is, I think the Sam Young character, I don't think we'll really see him again. Um, I think that Lonnie will become a modern anarchy. And, and, and so this is the, this is the origin of, of the Lonnie version of anarchy, which I think we'll keep saying. This is just my thoughts. I have no empirical evidence to back this up. So the other question I had, which kind of ties this all together was, okay, now that we are presented with anarchy's origin, how do you put this? How does this rank for you in the new 52? Origins. We've got new origins for a lot of the, a lot of the villains. Most of the major villains are kind of fleshed out. I think Anarchy was the last of the, of what I consider a major Batman villain who hadn't got a new origin here. Um, now that they're all out there, you know, where does this one rate for you? Is it top, a middle, or a bottom? And if this isn't one of your favorites, what is your, your favorite new villain origin? Well, I'll say this. Well, I don't completely agree with you that this is a top Batman villain. I, I would say that this is a huge villain for Robin. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll say this. I don't feel like this was that bad. I mean, if it really is setting up Lonnie becoming Anarchy, it works perfectly because it explains why he chooses what he does. It explains, you know, how everything works out. It makes sense. But the, the story itself, I feel, feel was a letdown. Um, you know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of this is an origin story for Lonnie's anarchy, then it works. But the problem is that that's not how it was at least portrayed up until the very end of this issue, the very end of the story arc. It was portrayed as, here we are, we're following this character who's presumably the new anarchy within the New 52, and their link to all of this. The fact that it ended up being Sam Young, the congressman, I feel was kind of like I really would a congressman go to the lengths that he did, you know, put Gotham in shambles and have riots happening all over the place and could be controlling everybody through the Mad Hatter's hat just to get revenge on Mad Hatter. No, I don't really see that. I mean, honestly, I feel like a congressman would have a lot more power where what would be the point of doing everything he did just to get back at the Mad Hatter. Um, that part of the story fell flat for me. If you look at it just from the perspective of, is it a good origin for Lonnie? Yes. But it only works if they continue the story and Lonnie actually is still a character that they use going forward in Detective Comics. Which, I mean, it's entirely possible because we've seen Sam Young was introduced during uh, Manipul and Buccioletto's first story arc. So, I mean, it's entirely possible that he could still be used. But for the story itself, if you just took out those last couple pages where Lonnie gets the mask, you, I, I, I feel like the story was it felt really flat. I, yeah, I think this ranks pretty low for me. Uh, just, I, I feel like the majority of the reason why, just in, in my thoughts on on how the whole origin sorted out. But, but, uh, I don't. I felt like he was a more interesting character, at least than than the other villains. So that's where I'm, I'm at this sort of uh, 
weird nexus because I'm trying to figure out do I like it or do I not like because it was great to see someone who's not necessarily a list because I feel like a list are the ones that you automatically think of that are Batman and so anarchy may be B list because he is a bigger person like a bigger bad but he's not someone that you like two-face or penguin or such and those were just so te- I don't know if I want to say tedious, but just over and over, there's some sort of, you know, familial tragedy and we create this person. So it's the same thing. So in that case, I, I, you know, seeing this newer character and, and his backstory, I guess I liked it because it was refreshing to see someone who wasn't in the A-list qualities. But I still think that because I'm going to say that it wasn't Lonnie's origin. I mean, I, I think we, we get a piece of that, uh, but. You know, we, I think, have a far way to go, especially in light of the Detective Endgame tie-in uh, to get Talani being anarchy. So right now I'm just going to say that it's, in fact, um, uh, Sam Young that we have there. So if it's his origin, then, you know, it was fine as a as a as a piece like as a first arc or a first chapter of it and i almost hope that they continue with sam young and just kind of beef him up a little bit and maybe not do lonnie and do a little change i would put this in the top of mine i i thought it was not the best i I don't think i have a definitive best but i really enjoyed this story overall which is rare for me with anything that involves mad hatter um but he was definitely more of a secondary character in this. Uh, I thought that this was pretty well built. I thought it was nice because we had Congressman Sam Young that was introduced back in Icarus. So it did feel like some of the of the threads that had been laying around were leading up to something. Which I think is good because how many times do we see a story where the secondary characters just go away after the arc? You know? And I think that they did a good job here kind of bringing in the secondary characters from one story to another. Um, so this is one of my favorite origin stories in the New 52 for a villain. And the art's great, and I think we all agree on it. Yeah, the art is awesome. All right, so Detective Comics number 40, I'm going to give, I'll just say this, if it was, <laughs> and I have to, I have to clarify this only because I don't want anybody to misconstrue. If this was the story for Lonnie, I would give this four. If this is the story of, uh, Sam Young, his anarchy, and this is the conclusion, I would give it like two and a half. Because uh, the ending was just not great, but if you look at this from this is the this is the end of the story, the first chapter of Lonnie becoming anarchy, I would give it a four. So, like, if I had to, because we don't know exactly what it is until we get the next issue or get future issues with anarchy, you have to you have to do an average between the two. So, I'd have to give it three out of five. How how can, can you explain this? How can how can you give a high grade for someone who like really isn't that present in the story? Like he pops up, but it's no, like he pops up, but the whole point is that if it's a slow build to this character becoming anarchy, they had just enough little things of him popping up where it makes complete sense where this is how this is how it becomes what the net, like this is the first chapter of how he becomes anarchy. So you're fine with that, but you're not fine with Harper Rowe doing a similar thing. <laughs> I'm gonna call. <laughs> there's a there's a huge difference. Oh here. boy! The difference is that Harper Rowe was not an established character, so sprinkling her in the stories, or and when I say sprinkling, there's a difference between the way Harper was sprinkled into the stories and the way Lonnie was sprinkled into these stories. Lonnie literally has ties to anarchy in the pre-New 52. Uh-huh. So the reason why he was sprinkled in made sense for Batman to go find him 
to seek him out. You know, not necessarily him being behind the reason why he needed to be shot. I mean, obviously that didn't need to be there. But Harper, on the other hand, was like, here's one issue all about Harper. Skip 12 months. Here's another issue all about Harper. Skip 12 months. Here's Harper being thrown into the mix of a major story arc where other characters aren't being focused. There's a difference. This was only, what, uh, five issues long? Six issues long? This wasn't that long. It wasn't even, it was started in October, I believe. It's so October. Yeah, it was, it was like four or five issues. So, I mean, him having, you know, one, two, three panels, uh, in average per the amount of issues that there was, it's okay. It's okay with that because you're getting the slow build. And if this is the way he is being, if, if this, like I said, is chapter one to him being anarchy, it's different than Harper Row being, here's an entire issue about a character you don't know, she's being thrown straight into the mix. Anarchy wasn't, or uh, Lonnie wasn't like that. So that's the difference for me, at least. I will say this about my ranking. I choose to look at this as a first chapter of Lonnie becoming Anarchy, and on that, I give it four out of five. I choose to look at it, <laughs> this is so weird, <laughs> as a whole, as a whole story. And I think that if we were supposed to invest in Sam Young, for this this arc, then I think we need to push that through for a little bit before we have Lonnie come in. And I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. But let me ask you this, though. Uh-huh. Why do you feel we needed to invest into Sam Young if it was only revealed in the last, uh, you know, the last issue that it is Sam Young? Well, you know, no, it could have been, it could have yeah. been anybody behind the mask. I mean, obviously they led to it, you know, they hinted at it could be Sam Young, but the fact that they reveal that it's Sam Young, why do you feel like it needs? To, why do you feel like we need to build on it being Sam Young? Well, because I just, I mean, reading this story, I, I can't see how Lonnie can all of a sudden become anarchy. I don't think he is. Yeah, I don't think he is either. I think it's we'll a get a follow build. up. I think we'll get a follow up to this. I think I would have to guess that after the Robo Bat thing, right in the next Detective Comics, maybe in the December, because they only do four or five issue arcs, right? Maybe by December or September, October, I think we'll get another four or five issue arc with Lonnie, and I think we'll see the next chapter. Well, how old was he in pre-New 52 when he became Anarchy? He was Robin's nemesis, so he was supposed yeah, to be like a teenager. 15, 16 years old. Okay. I just, yeah, I, I just feel like we introduced, you know, Sam Young as Anarchy, and I almost want to see that play out slightly before we, we change hands. I almost feel like I should go back and read all of these issues together to see if they actually said that he is anarchy, or if he just stated that he was causing anarchy. I don't know, but I because like when I'm thinking about that, it, that that that's a huge thing too. Because if they didn't ever, if he never actually said that he is anarchy and he was going by that name, it makes even more sense for it to be a lead up for life. Well, and I think too though, Stella could be right, and I think that would be fine. I think you could see a definitive anarchy can be seen. This is about to get kind of philosophical. Anarchy because can seen by different people as a force for good or a force for evil, right? Some people want anarchy because they want to burn down buildings. Some people want anarchy because they believe that it's a better way to live your life without strings. So, so what I'm saying is you could very much have a confrontation between Sam Young anarchy and Lonnie's anarchy. Like, a, you know, one wants to use it for a semi-good. Because remember, anarchy ended up being very much an anti-hero at the end of the run, right? That's right, yeah. So I think very much you could have you know, Sam Young as the evil anarchy and anti-hero Lonnie as, as anarchy squaring off against each other. And I think that that could happen over three or four story arcs. And that could be like the definitive now we have an anarchy. And I think that could be a really cool thing to play out over a couple of years, which wouldn't feel forced and would feel like 
something that if, if that played out over the next two or three years, it would be cool. Yeah, I agree. All right, so then over on the website, Joseph gave it three and a half out of five, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 40 a total of three and a half out of five. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 48, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Fernando Blanco. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Jason Bard going to the mayor, telling him that uh, he has proof that Gordon is innocent and that they need to free him. Uh, the mayor basically says, it doesn't matter if you think he's innocent, no one else does, and that's all that matters in Gotham City. Um, so I'm the mayor decides he's going to leave town, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, meanwhile, at uh, Blackgate Penitentiary, there's a cell phone that gets delivered to Penguin. Somebody over the phone says, I want to reinstate you, Oswald. I want to give you your, your fortune, your power. I'm going to give you back everything that Falcone gave you, or uh, took away from you. In, in turn, I just need you to help me with one thing, uh, or one person specifically. Suddenly, uh, there's a giant uh, jailbreak riot that starts, and Penguin is tasked with taking out Jim Gordon. Uh, meanwhile, the Bat family is taking out or working on taking out the bat villains that we saw in the last issue. Uh, at the Batcave, Hush decides that he's going to mess with the comms and the technology so that the Bat family has some issues. Um, Meanwhile, Julia says, comes up from the Gotham River and she decides that she needs to go find a back computer and, uh, she realizes that she needs to go to the Robin's Nest. Meanwhile, Batman, who crashed the bat, or who was in the Batwing when it crashed, is all cut up and bruised, decides to climb the fence at a military base and leave an IOU after he steals a jet. At the Gotham Gazette, spoiler approaches Vicky Vale and says, how come you haven't posted, how come you haven't done anything? I know you have all the pieces. How come you haven't published anything explaining how this is all, who's behind all of this? Uh, Vicky says, you don't understand, there's, you know, I've got a lot on Jason, but it's not all on him. Um, and uh, she, uh, all of a sudden a helicopter shows up with Cluemaster inside of it. He kidnaps Spoiler. Uh, Spoiler happens to leave a flash drive for Vicky Vale. Meanwhile, Batman is uh, hearing of all the different things that's happening across Gotham as he's in the, the jet. Uh, we see Jason Bard and Harvey Bullock uh, go get Harvey Bullock and say that they need to get to Blackgate to save Jim. Um, at the prison, Jim Gordon is uh, helping some not-so-fortunate inmates who are being uh, you know, harassed. And he says, all right, you're a move, boys. And then uh, Penguin says, and says, uh, nope, it's, uh, we're going to deal with Mr. Gordon as uh, Gordon is surrounded. Next up, Gordon's last stand. There's another issue that has happened where we don't get a whole lot of reveal. Again, I'm just going to keep saying it. It feels like we're treading water here. Um, we see a lot of the same things that have taken place in other issues kind of just slowly take one step forward. Um, we see Gordon, the, the, the riot at the, at Black Ace, probably the biggest thing that happened in the issue because there's something's happening with Gordon after we haven't seen it. Bard takes steps to try to free Gordon by going to the mayor, but that's not happening. I don't know why Bard would have to go to the mayor in the first place in order to take care of that, but I digress. Um, honestly, I'm just, like, I don't have that much to say about either one of these issues, this one or the next one. Do you guys feel like, again, or how, how do you feel this issue was portrayed? Do you feel like, again, we're treading water, or do you feel like, you know, they're actually slowly getting to the point? I think that 
this issue was a lot of treading water, but that it, it did address something that needed to be or started to address something that needed to be addressed, which was getting getting Gordon out of out of Blackgate. Um, I, I felt like that that kind of was a move forward position, but it didn't move forward the 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 overall story arc. And I, I think if they're trying to start this uh, Jason Bard, you know, all of a sudden he's going to start becoming a good guy thing. Uh, that's just that's, that guy's too much of an ass. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, a lot of treading water here. It was nice to see Gordon's story move ahead forward, but other than that, but that could have been captured in three pages. So, mm-hmm. no, not a, not a whole lot going on here. Yeah, I mean, especially since if you think about forty nine and what happens there with with the Bat Clan, really, we could have compressed, I think, all of these both of these issues into one. Uh, I think it is important that we get back to Gordon and Jason Bard uh, and. Well, again, I don't know when the last time was that, in fact, we saw it. I think there is an inconsistency with 49, but I'm sure hopefully we'll talk about that when we go there. But I, I think perhaps, you know, more time could have been spent to a certain extent uh, on the heroes fighting these villains. Then it's just so jumbled. So I wonder, could we have taken some some space, uh, some page count away from from what's going on? And, you know, yet another riot in Blackgate and then giving it to, uh, some things here, uh, especially with Bane and, and Jason Todd. Who wouldn't want to see Robo Bane and Jason Todd duel? Not, yeah, Jason Todd. And, you know, I do wonder, here's my question. I may, may, may show my ignorance here, but why, what's the personal vendetta that Penguin has against, uh, the commissioner? Nothing. Oh, okay. there's nothing. He's, he's basically being told, listen, uh, you go kill Gordon, and I'll give you back your fortune to the mystery voice on the phone. Okay. Who's probably That's the big the bad, reason. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we would assume so. Yeah. So, yeah, not much. I mean, I just echo what you guys said. I'm not even going to bother. I mean, like, I, I already said everything that I said. There's there's no point of covering these issues for that long because there's just not that much that happens. So, if I'm going to turn number 48, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Two and a half. I'll agree with Dustin and three out of five. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 48 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 49, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Fernando Blanco. The issue starts off with Jason, uh, what appears to be Maggie Sire, er, Sawyer and Harvey Bullock, all heading towards Blackgate with a bunch of cop cars to deal with the riot. Inside of Black Eight, we see Penguin's goons have grabbed Gordon. Uh, he, Gordon tries to kind of tempt the goons into letting him go. They end up dropping him, and he ends up taking Penguin into his jail cell, slamming the door shut, and, uh, and, uh, explains to the, uh, thugs that, listen, if you come in here, you're, you're dealing with me. Uh, so, they walk off, leaving Penguin to be tied up, hogtied by, by, uh, Gordon. Uh, we then cut again to the battle of the Bat family with uh, various members of the rogues gallery. Um, when uh, we see that uh, Hush is still watching um, everything that's going on, um, and we see that Alfred is in turn saying, you've taken away their weapons, their tools, even their radios, and for what? Why would you do that? And he said, because they're all his. Um, so then he decides, Hush decides he's going to take a bat boat or a boat and go send it to crash into a cargo ship. And, uh, and in turn, Hush says, sit back, dear butler, and enjoy the show. 
There's nothing that you can do. Meanwhile, across town, Julia Pennyworth is broken into the robin's nest, and she is very glad that uh, Red Robin is very paranoid and created his own back. Yeah. Meanwhile, across town, we see Cluemaster in the helicopter with Spoiler. He's saying, you know, don't sell yourself short. You're a brown. You see, you see patterns. Um, we could, we could do so much together. You, we could be partners. We could be the greatest partners in Gotham. Uh, would you do your dad the honor? And she says, I'm sorry, dad, but at this point, I literally want nothing to do with you. She slams the joystick down, has the opportunity to jump out of the helicopter, and she does. Uh, at this point, Clue Master's pretty convinced that there's, there's no hope and he just flies off. Uh, meanwhile, the cargo ship is about to get hit when all of a sudden, uh, Julia hacks into the back computer and she in turn stops the, 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 the boat from crashing the cargo ship. And Hush says, ah, oh, that's right, the Robin's nest. Very clever. But, uh, Bruce thought of that too. And then all of a sudden we see Alfred say something about an, uh, an access code and he breaks out of the containment cell and in turn knocks Hush out. He says, this is my home, Tommy, and you have no place here. And he grabs the bandages and continues to punch him in the face. Alfred says, we are near the finish line, which I think that a lot of us were hoping for a while ago. Um, Alfred uh, is told by Julia that she ne- he needs to stop the boat. He gets it under control and just in time as it diverts from hitting the cargo ship. Meanwhile, he puts the radios back online and they are all able to start communicating with each other, including Batman, who says, help is coming. Alfred says, welcome back, sir. Bane says, that can only be one man. Ha, ha, ha. Come on, then, as the military jet flies straight towards Mech Bane. Next, Batman returns. All right, so again, not much to talk about here. Um, I guess the one thing that I wanted to talk about here was the fact that if Alfred was able to say an access code all this time and just decided now was the perfect time to do this, why wouldn't he have done that? Why wouldn't he have just done that from the very beginning? Honestly, I mean, there's there's no reason. I mean, exactly. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's the problem with these kind of um, magic wand and wand things, you know, where you can just wave a wand and get out of a prison cell or, or magically turn on technology or, or anything else that you use a magic wand for in a narrative is the question is always like, why didn't you use it before? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I think that, this is a problem that it faces not just comic books, but writers of all types. I think yeah. that you probably should have just found a better way for him to, for this struggle with Tommy Elliot to happen. Um, but there isn't any real reason to wait. Yeah, I mean, so the, the, the comic book, let me see how to say this. Um, the story reason, of course, is because we need to, to spread this over a couple issues. <laughs> so, of course, he's not going to use that now. I think that the Alfred Pennyworth reason, perhaps, is I think he wanted to stand back and wait to see ultimately what Hush was wanting to do. Because I think he needed a bigger picture. Because, you know, zooming in, we, we saw he was taking down, he was working with the villains and seeing, uh, you know, taking down different aspects of, of the hero's suits and things like that. And obviously sending, uh, uh, I was going to say Alfred, uh, but Julia away and things like that. But I think perhaps he was biding his time to the last second to see if he could have made a connection with the big bad and, you know, use that and hopefully, uh, found out some information, which would have helped the readers, you know, push queer to the end. But I think because 
the uh, hush, that is, hush was about to basically destroy a bunch of innocent people with the, with the bat boat. I think basically Alfred was like, well, the jig is up and he went out. So I think Alfred did have a purpose for being behind there and biding his time. I think maybe he was waiting to see if he could figure anything out, but in the end he had to, to weigh the advantages with what, uh, the damage could have been. Stella, what was the inconsistency that you were talking about? Well, so I, I think story inconsistencies. Um, number one, when Stephanie jumps out of the helicopter, why doesn't her father try to kill her? Like all of a sudden he's okay with her being alive, even though she's not with him. I can understand capturing her because he can rein her in and keep control of her. But then she jumps out and I'm just like, wait, wouldn't that have been the opportunity to kill her right there? And my other thing was um, the, the fact that we've got Jason Bard riding shotgun with... uh with Bullock and Sawyer when they wanted nothing to do with him. And I think back to that issue with the, with the diner and everything. And yeah, you can say Jim Gordon brought them all together. So concerned for them. But I just think he already tried. He already tried to make his apologies and everything to them. And they basically do not want anything to do with them. So I don't know why now all of a sudden they're okay with him being there. Yeah, I would agree. There's, there's, there's a little problems here and there, but the biggest problem I feel like with this entire thing is, Again, another issue, not a whole lot happens. We get Hush back to what he was a couple issues ago, where now he's taken out. He's probably going to get locked back up in the containment cell, and we're right back at the same spot. The only difference is, for a couple of issues now, we've had the uh, Bat family battling villains that normally they would be able to take out pretty quickly, and they haven't because they have this technology that, in some ways, I feel like should have the op- should have something in the technologies to say, "Hey, we could just shut this down." Since Hush was just able to shut down their technology, mm-hmm. we'll wait and see what happens. Sorry, so Batman Eternal number forty nine. I'm giving this one two and a half out of five. <laughs> two and three out of five. Yeah, I'm going to keep even with the with the three out of five. At least some stuff sort of happened here. All right, so Batman Eternal number forty nine gets a total of two and a half out of five batarangs. Hopefully, we're getting to the finish line. All right, so that is all of our reviews. Let's head over to the website for some of the other reviews that have been posted over on the site. Uh, first up, Batman the Jirikawada Batmanga Chapter 35 gets four out of five. Batman 66 Chapter 55 gets a total of three and a half out of five. Grayson number eight gets a total of four and a half out of five. Harley Quinn number 15 gets four out of five. Earth 2, number 32, gets a total of 4 out of 5. Uh, a DCU Spotlight review for Green Arrow, number 40, because it, Batman was part of it, uh, got 2 out of 5. Batman the Jirukawada Batmanga, number 36, got 4 out of 5. Detective Comics Endgame, number 1, got 4 out of 5. World's Finest, number 32, got 2 out of 5. And New Suicide Squad, number 8, got 1 out of 5. So that is all the reviews. Be sure to check out all those reviews. Now, for our Spotlight this episode, just gonna quickly go through some of the epi- or other issues that came out. Most of them I just mentioned or have full reviews over on the website. Uh, Detective Comics Endgame number 1, Earth 2 number 32, Grayson number 8, Green Arrow number 40, Harley Quinn number 15, New Suicide number 8, and World's Finest number 32. Okay, so those are the issues that have, you know, that, that are part of our spotlights. Uh, just covering some of the main, uh, the big things that happen in some of them. First off, in Grayson number eight, Mr. Minos, a character who's been around uh, since the beginning of the series, he was actually shot by Agent Zero. Agent Zero, as you may know from way back in Batman Incorporated, uh, when Batman Incorporated was around, 
Agent Zero is actually Kathy Kane. Um, she also was the one who shot Talia al Ghul in the final issue of Batman Incorporated. So something big happened there, so check that out. Uh, next up uh, in Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn has decided that she can no longer stop crime around the city by herself, so she's recruited. She's put up a job posting saying that she's looking for um, basically sidekicks to help her in her crime-fighting pursuits. And she's basically starting her own her own team in the pages of Harley Quinn, number 15, so check that out. Um, also, Detective Comics Endgame, number one. I know Stella wanted to talk about this one. What happened, Stella? Uh, well, basically, it's following our Lonnie, our, I guess, our future anarchy. And uh, the whole thing is him trying to get to a stripper club um to to save his mom which i thought was interesting but i think number 1 this is the reason why i said i think him being anarchy is way off in the distance because of i mean someone that caring for his mom i feel like that cannot be a villain so i feel like we've got a far far to go with this guy but i the big thing i really want to mention is the fact that number 1 batwoman pops up number 2 spoiler is in there fighting alongside and i thought to myself when in the world did she all of a sudden become a member of the bat family that was what was really shocking to me and i wanted uh to know what you guys thought about that her popping up and helping the fight well again because this is taking place after the events of eternal right. we don't really know exactly what's happening there i would assume that Bluebird, spoiler, they're all, you know, becoming part of the Bat family, and that's that's why she's there. Um, but I'm hoping that that means that she'll have a bigger role, too. I mean, that's that's the one hope that I'm getting out of this issue is the fact that she was involved. It'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, so with that, that is our spotlight for this episode. Getting into listener Q&As, and I have to say, listener Q&As, I, I, you guys are awesome. Uh, we must have... When you guys heard that we're going to start doing them every episode, you must really jump Yay. on and say, hey, this is going to be great, because we got a ton of them. The first one I want to say, uh, the first one was from Terry. Now, Terry posted a, a huge message, and I will say this. Obviously, I made a comment in the last episode about how huge comments, they're very difficult to cover. Uh, Terry, Terry, who also happens to write for the site, he writes a lot of our comic news, uh, including all the big announcements of, for this episode that we talked about. Um, Terry specifically told me, please don't go to the point of reading my comment. I know it was really long. I went out on a tangent. So I would suggest that you read his, his thing. But the one thing I want to talk about that he did mention is that Terry kind of made a connection as to when exactly Batman and Robin takes place between Batman Eternal and Batman Endgame and where it actually takes place. So what he specifically said was, um, also, just a quick thought about the continuity with Roz, Damian, Batman. The explanation that makes the most sense in my mind, and the one that has been worked out in my head all along as an explanation for how Eternal plays into the return of Damian, is the events of several issues of Batman and Robin, specifically issue number 33, take place over a larger period of time. We see in issue 32, Batman and Roz al Ghul, and the Robin Rises Omega issue, the fight between Roz, Batman, and Godfrey from Apocalypse. Towards the end of that battle, Roz falls in the ravine, and then the Just League shows up to fight off the Parademons. Finally, after the battle, Bruce goes to get goes to the Just League satellite to get his Hellbat suit to fight Darkseid, and the rest of the Just League shows up to stop him. Bruce eventually gives up and goes home. The next panel shows Superman coming to comfort Bruce at Wayne Manor, and eventually the rest of the Bat family shows up to discuss Bruce going to Apocalypse. My supposition is that 
Batman Eternal, and maybe Endgame 2, takes place between those two pages. So Damien gets to gets taken to Apocalypse and Roz falls in the ravine, but it is still some time after Eternal in my mind before Bruce goes to rescue Damien and bring him back. I know that this explanation sounds like a stretch, but I think it makes sense without a need for Damien to die again in Batman Robin number 40, or for Bruce and Damien to have a falling out in that issue either. It also explains the interaction with Roz too, because it happens after the last time the characters met, but before Batman goes to Apocalypse. It also explains why Damien isn't in Eternal at all, because Bruce hasn't gone to rescue him. Of course, the easier thing to do would just be to leave the Roz reference out of Eternal 46 altogether, but it makes it still makes sense this way. However, I think the writers were in a tough spot with regarding the inclusion of Damien because when Eternal started, Damien was still dead from our standpoint. The writers may or may not have known, but if Damien had appeared out of nowhere in Eternal, we have had to come to terms with Robin Rises taking place simultaneously with Eternal, which would have been too complicated as well. So there was really a no-win scenario regarding Damien, but I think Eternal happening in between issues of Batman Robin, perhaps between the pages as I described, it just makes sense for all, us all to get together in a way that makes sense, if it, even if it is a stretch. So, Terry, makes perfect sense the way you put it. I have a hard time believing that DC editorial sat down and said, okay, all of this takes place during these two pages of Batman and Robin, but like you said, it does make complete sense even though it is a stretch. Hey, it's as good as any theory I've got, I'll go with his. Alright, next up, Gary Green says, thanks for a very enjoyable podcast. I'm new to reading comic books, but I've been a Batman TV movie fan since I was a kid, which was a very long time ago, like Adam West a long time ago. I thought you might like a new comic reader's perspective on the reboot, renumbering, continuity issues you were discussing. When I decided to start reading comics again, I knew that a lot had changed from the Bam Pow Boom days. Dick Grayson isn't Robin? What's up with Red Robin, Nightwing, Damien? Who is Oracle, etc.? When I read the monthlies, I was confused and I and was missing half the stories. To catch up, I picked up a few of what what my research said were the classic books from the interim 80s and 90s, but they really didn't help and I almost gave up. However, when I got the Court of Owls book, I noticed that there were parts of something called the New 52, like the comics. I really started to get what was going on. I read a few more trades and then monthlies and started to get more and more references and understood the stories better. So I'm one of those people that got on board because of the New 52. Between the availability of trades and the relative... Uh, recency of the reboot, I got comfortable. If I had to catch up on 20 years of storyline, ugh. I can see, though, if in a year or two the, the characters got totally changed, I would get upset. Seems to me every decade or so sounds about right for a reboot. It is natural to link them to a decade more or less anyway. I don't care about what number a book is as long as it is I can get in the start of a story. I have having Batman 35 be Endgame Part 1 works fine for me. Couldn't care less about the number. Is all about the story and the ability to find the right number to get in on the beginning. In terms of continuity, all I can say that if the writing is good, I'm inclined to give more leeway than if the writing is bad, no matter how it is explained. For example, it took me a while to get used to the idea that Dick Grayson isn't Robin. Yeah, I know, it's been a long time. But I get a kick out of Damien and them loving Grayson, so I can get over it pretty quick. I get that it was all explained perfectly well over the years, but if I didn't like the updates, I would reject it. But if I'm already disliking the writing, any continuity knit would be would take me out of the story. Anyway, just my two cents. Sorry for the long comment. So, 
makes you know I under, I appreciate the the new reader comments. I I you know I do appreciate those, and I think that if you did come into the new fifty two, it makes complete sense as to how it stands alone by itself. Um, a, a lot of times, I mean, there's very few things where you need to know certain things. Like you probably didn't know who Damien was if he came into the new fifty two after not really knowing what's been going on for the last twenty something years in comics. You probably had no idea who Damien was. But it's slowly, you slowly learn things and it makes sense. The problem is, is, you know, us readers, obviously the three of us, we are not new readers to these new things that they're doing. And that's the problem. So I guess the question I'm going to pose to listeners is when something, when you've been reading something for a long period of time and something happens where it's drastic change, such as what we've now seen is going to be happening in the pages of Batman, how do you feel about that? How do you feel when a character like, or this doesn't even have to be right now, new readers who have been reading for only 10 years, you know, how do you feel when you were reading Batman and Bruce Wayne was Batman for, you know, the last 10 years and then all of a sudden we had Batman R.I.P. happen and Final Crisis, Batman's gone, Dick Grayson's Batman. How was that change? You know, what, what is, what's your feelings on the exact change of Huge drastic changes within the books. And how do you feel about those? Whether they're, they're for sure, you know, going forward for the future or if it's just a short amount of time. Like Ed was saying, he thinks that the stuff that's happening in Batman is only going to happen until maybe the end of the year. You know, how do you feel about stuff like that? Or is it, you know, does it make a difference if it's a short amount of time that it's happening or a long period? You know, when Batman Battle for the Cowl happened, I enjoyed that storyline mostly because it dealt with a ton of characters. We saw a lot of different characters' perspectives. I think the end of Batman Battle for the Cow was probably, you know, Dick Grayson becoming Batman made the most sense from the very beginning. But how we got to that point, it was interesting. You know, how, you know, is it, is, am I going to feel the same about Batman Endgame leading up to whoever is in the bat, robo bat suit? You know, is it going to be the same? I don't know. But how do you guys, the readers who haven't been reading comics for 20 something years, how do you feel when we have drastic changes because of some sort of story arc or an event? The only thing I'll point out, too, here is the one thing the New 52 did give is a definitive argue against everything else you want, and I think that a lot of the criticism is valid. But what the New 52 did for not just Batman, but all the DC characters, is if you have somebody who is interested in starting to read it, at least you have a place to send them to start. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if someone says, and I've had this happen. A friend of mine, well, where do I start reading Batman comics? Before the New 52, our, our listener here brings up a great, where did you start? Right? Yeah, like, there is, there's not really a place to start. Like, or if some, if like, if someone goes, man, you know, I, I like Arrow. Where would I start reading Green Arrow? Uh, well, long go Hunters, and then you could do this, and then you could. Yeah. So, so I do think that the one thing that, that this did, and hopefully will be for the next 10, 15, 20 years, is now if someone says, I want to start reading Batman, if you if you give someone Court of Owls Volume 1, right there on the first page, it gives you the Damien's his son, this guy used to be Batman, used to be, used to be Robin, now he's, you know, Bob, like, it, 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 it does compress it all. Now, the funny thing is, is how stuff like Oracle's never mentioned, because, you know, I mean, she almost wouldn't even exist if you're reading it. Too. But I do think that's the one great thing about the, the new book you did right for new readers was it gave people a chance to jump on books and even some of us that read forever i never ever ever read wonder woman monthly mm-hmm. until the new 52 and then now i've been reading wonder woman since the relaunch um now I, I don't like 
uh, Finch as much as I liked the, the creative team before him, but it even gave a long-term comics guy like me a place to jump onto characters that I never read monthly. So I do think that the, the new 52 wasn't all bad. And I, and I hope at the very least we have these starting points for people in the future to, to pick up here. Yeah, I agree that, you know, it's given a lot of, I mean, for me, of course, I, I feel like I'm easily able to recommend great hopping on points, uh, but just in my sphere of influence with Batgirl and everything. But, you know, this entire New 52, I, I think that was the purpose, you know, and it was well stated that this is a great way to, in a, in a way to simplify what had been going on with, you know, all these crises. That was also a point to simplify and to hop on and, and everyone can have a chance now to start these new storylines. And there's some, you know, old continuity intact. So we can, we can try to keep you old readers, um, satisfied as well. And it's funny because me, I, I've read comics, I would say as long back as I was really able to understand them, you know, when I was a small child, but I really didn't become a, a more thorough reader until civil wars with Marvel and, uh, infinite crisis. And it was probably the best and worst decision that I've made with comics because you are inundated with characters. And I think, you know, starting off with that was also great because if you are willing to make the effort to get to know these and their history and everything, then you really become, I think, a, a lifelong lover of comics. And it does disappoint me still. I can understand the, you know, I want to be a new reader. Let's have this reboot or whatever it is, soft or hard. I can understand that. But as old readers, I, it is a bit of a heartbreak. And, you know, I did that that article about, I mean, New 52. That was really hard for me to to take. But now that it's been going on for a while, I've gotten used to it. But even if I am, you know, I'm going to, I'm sorry, Dustin, I'm going to say that, you know, Marvel's about to do this really crazy thing and I am super nervous about it. And so when you hear about this, almost like an implosion and you're going to be merging things and characters may be lost or dead characters may come back and you wonder, well, what about these books that I'm really enjoying? Where are they going to go? It's very stressful as well. So I think it's both sides of the coin. You know, it can be good, but I, I think for some people, you, you still are going to have a tough time getting over it. And, and that's where I am. If it's a huge change, it's really hard for me to, uh, to, to be okay with it thoroughly. It's, it's, it takes some time. It takes some time. All right, so next up, Albert says, Hey guys, another good pod in the books. Uh, Dustin, I was elated to hear that, you, that you're going to have listener Q&A every episode now, and that makes your day when you get a comment or a question. On the same note, every time I write to TVU and it's discussed, I pause, rewind, and stop my girlfriend from whatever she's doing to have her listen. It's my day. So thank you guys for doing what you do. At the time I'm writing this, I just have read Batman Eternal 48. I'm almost ashamed to admit that the last three issues, I've immediately flipped to the last page before reading to see if anything of substance will be revealed. And of course, there isn't because, come on, this is Batman Eternal. At this point, I'm not looking forward to year two of Eternal. And God help me if the last panel of the last page of 52 is a tease for year two with nothing being revealed. My question to you guys is, are you looking forward to Batman Eternal year two? Well, I'll say this. Um, given the news that we got about the fact that it could be Robin-centric or Robin-focused, um, and, you know, my link that I said, you know, could Peter Tomasi be heading up year two of Batman Eternal? I think that I am, well, one, I'm interested regardless of Tomasi's involved or not. I would be int more interested if he's involved because I feel like 
he really gets the Robin characters. Um, knowing that it's supposed to be Robin-centric and Robin-focused and more of a celebration for the Robins, that excites me. I mean, like, I've complained about the fact that Tim Drake doesn't have his own book, that we don't really see a lot of focus on the Robins in general or the Robin characters. Damien's going to be getting his own title uh, come June, which is different than just being Robin dying and then Batman searching for Robin for all these issues that we've seen in Batman Robin. But I, Robin is a character that makes Batman very different than other heroes. And I think that a celebration of the characters of Robin is really cool. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how much, uh, like, which characters they're actually going to focus on. If it's more of, uh, like, I, I thought about, I commented on our Facebook group page about this. I said, you know, is it really, it's it really a celebration of Robin the character and the people who have held the actual Robin mantle, or is it a, or is it a celebration of the idea of a Robin or the sidekicks of Batman? Because if it's a celebration of the sidekicks of Batman and all of the characters who have been sidekicks of Batman, that excites me even more. We don't know much more details. I mean, literally, like I said, that question or the the comments from Snyder was almost like the throwaway question at the end of an uh, at the end of an interview talking about the new Batman, where I was surprised to even see it in there. But I like the idea of it being Robin centric, even if it is all of Batman's sidekicks. I think that would be awesome. I mean, give the sidekicks a little bit more than what we've seen. Because there's a lot of characters that, well, one, we haven't seen in the new 52, and two, there's a lot of characters that just do not get, even if we do see them in the new 52, they don't, aren't, they aren't used that much. Yeah, I think that you present two things here that could be interesting, and I think that, let's face it, if it, if this is another 52 issue weekly series, they may be time to explore both those things. My only, I'm really looking forward to it. Dustin's idea of Tomasa writing it has me excited. My only other thing would be, I would just, I, I really do think it comes down from 52 issues to, to bi-weekly. I think that that would be, would be much, much better. But other than that, I am. Yeah, uh, I, I think perhaps it was, uh, yeah, I was the one who said, you know, you just need to maybe not do it every week, but you know, three times a month if you really have to and just cut it down. I think they need to cut down storylines as well, just because, and it's not necessarily the problem that the storyline isn't good, which I didn't enjoy the supernatural storyline as much. Um, it, I'm sure that other people liked it. So I won't say if it wasn't, I think there were some good moments to it, but I think the problem with it was it was almost few and far between. We would have a couple issues of it and then it would be perhaps a month or a month and a half. And then we would get back to it and it's hard. It's hard to remember what is going on in that certain circumstance. So I would cut down the amount of time that you release it. I would cut down the number of storylines, make it more cohesive. And my third thing is something that none of the DC books do, but I will say it anyways, have a little synopsis page at the beginning. Uh, be- yeah, especially, yeah, yeah, especially if you're coming back to a storyline that you have not seen for several issues, that would work tremendously. That would really help, I think, readers. I, and, and just to piggyback off their comments, I would say bi-weekly makes more sense. Cut it down because we're seeing, especially now that we're, you know, in the final month of Batman Eternal, we're seeing a lot of stuff that it just feels like they're just, like we said, treading water until the end, you know. We're not getting anything leading up to the actual end, so this is what we got. So I feel like this is the way they need to go. 
They need to either make it bi-weekly or not have it 52 issues. And they do need to plan it way in advance so that we're not seeing, like Stella said, months going by without hinting at storylines that they do. So either cut down the storylines or figure out a way where you're not going that long in between storylines. I mean, I understand Batman Eternal is a massive story, and they try to cover almost every aspect they possibly could of Gotham, and I appreciate that. I mean, like, I'm not a huge fan of the supernatural stuff either, but the fact that they chose to make sure that it had a part of Eternal, it's good, and I I, I appreciate that. But the problem is that they did they did try to spread themselves way too thin, mm-hmm. uh, especially now towards the end where we're seeing not as much of the art be cohesive and things like that. There's there has to be a little bit better of a job, and making it biweekly seems to be the the most logical answer. All right, so uh, next up, Stella made a comment. Stella, do you just want to tell everybody what you read regarding Batgirl? Yeah, so we were talking about Batgirl 39 in the previous issue, uh, or in the previous episode, and then we also brought up The Secret Origins, and Dustin had asked me, you know, I, I, I don't really remember Frankie and Babs having some, or knowing each other before Batgirl, and I, I said, no, I don't think so. I, I couldn't really remember. But in my plotting out what I was about to talk about on my next episode, I did go back to issue 35, which was the the start of the the fresh back roll there. And when Barbara was at, at her stoop of her new place and she's with Frankie and then Alicia is also there, she does tell Alicia that she had met Frankie three and a half years ago in physio. So it does actually align with what the creators had set up in the beginning. So there is continuity there. So I just wanted to to make mention of that since I was in error the previous episode. As always, we'd like to correct our mistakes. So <laughs> next up, Stella's, Stella's uh, favorite, yes, favorite, favorite, Mr. Mr. John Mixelplitz oh, says, back and I, just, I just wanted to point out that on this podcast, Stella has made 331 Spider-Man or Marvel <laughs> references over the past five years. And months. I will continue to do it, so the number's only going to go up. I hope that's an accurate count. That would be I already talked like five I I mentioned something five times this episode, so it's now three hundred and thirty six. Even though this is a Batman podcast, she just can't (laughs) help herself. And I wish people would relax about Damon. He's not going anywhere. It was a pretty ridiculous and convoluted way that he got resurrected in the first place. So why have Batman go through so much to get Damien back only to kill him off again? That wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Dustin and Ed keep up the good work. And Stella, you're awesome. Aw. Wait a minute. I can't tell what's sarcastic and what's not. What? I can't either, but that's okay, because I think that's the intent. Oh, gosh. I, I think that's the intent. I will say this, okay? When we said the thing about, you know, you know, the only way to make this all make sense is to, to kill Damien off again, that's not saying we should kill him off. I don't. I, I just want to get that across. I don't think they should kill Damien off. Obviously, they're not. Mixelquick ended up doing a follow-up comment two days later and said, and obviously, Damien won't be getting killed off again because he's going to be getting his own ongoing series. I just wanted to point out how silly that theory was. I'm pretty sure that Jim Gordon will be the one wearing the new Batman robotic suit during Scott Snyder's story arc. So, uh, obviously, Mixelclick has the same thought that I do about Jim Gordon. But the thing is, obviously, we knew that we, we knew last episode that some of all the new series that were being announced, Damien was going to be in the new Robin series. So we knew that he wasn't actually going to get killed off. We're just trying to make sense of how this would actually make sense as far as continuity. It's not to say that he is going to kill him off. They would kill him off again. It, it doesn't make any sense. But that's one of the few theories that makes the most sense 
as far as connecting all of these bad books together. That's all I'm saying on that. And like I said, if the thing again that may have got lost this past couple of weeks was that the, the what they said was that Batman Beyond was going to be the definitive future, right? Which means if that's going to become the definitive future, that means Future's End is going to happen, right? You're going to have the Dark Side War. Future's End is going to happen, which means that five years in the future, Duke Thomas is Robin Robin with a Batman not dressed like Chappie, and that something bad is going to happen to Damien. Because if you read that book by Snyder, that is absolutely what was presented five years ago. And if that's becoming the definitive future for the DCU, that can only mean that that's going to happen. That being said, I'm probably totally wrong. Man, I mean, I would love to go back to when we first talked about Future's End, I don't six months ago. And, I mean, everything we talked about was saying that this was a possible future. And now all of the words that came out of Ed's mouth was like, when, when, when. The well, see, which is really well, scary. Here's the thing. When did no, it all I think, change? I don't agree with what Ed's saying. Oh. I don't think that oh. Future's End, <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like Future's End is going to be the future. That was a possible future, but what I feel like what they will do in Batman Beyond is create the definitive future, as as you said. But I don't feel like what's happened in Future's End and Future's End or the New Fifty Two Future's End. I don't feel like that is for sure the future well, leading up to Batman Beyond. Yeah, but if 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 and we're playing some ifs, <laughs> but if if Tim Drake ends up being Batman Beyond in the future, he becomes Batman Beyond through the events of what happened. In future's end, and if that is the definitive future, and he ends up as Batman Beyond, doesn't it lead to figure that how he became Batman Beyond would be canon as well? Mind blown. Well, no, because at the same time we're also dealing with time. I know time travel can change everything. But but it it does seem like they're leaning towards making it more, let's say, probable than definitive, right? If Batman Beyond with Tim Drake and all that, I know the time travel stuff. What what if what if this at the end of Future's End, it is revealed that Tim Drake becomes Batman Beyond and then goes back to the future. But that's it. That's the end of the story. We don't see anything else. And then when Batman Beyond launches in, in June, we find out that it's Terry McGinnis. And the Future's End of Tim Drake going back to the future as Batman Beyond, it it doesn't mean anything. Well, then, it literally was just the end of that story. Then, 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 futures, then, then you're 100% right, and I am wrong, and I should be shot. Well, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying because I'm just I'm just sitting here thinking like I like the idea of Tim Drake as as Batman Beyond, oh, but I'm also sitting here thinking it's supposed to be 35 years into the future. I don't know how realistic that is for Tim Drake to be well, Batman Beyond in the pages of Batman Beyond, unless of course he, goes to the he actually is goes to the future. That's as, what I'm thinking. He is, yeah. I'm thinking at the end of Future's End, he ends up with the Batman Beyond suit, right? Which is five years. Future's End happens five years from right. six months ago. That in five years from now, Tim Drake ends up with the Batman Beyond suit and is transported to the future. So it will be Tim Drake of five years from now being Batman Beyond in 35 years now. And if you're not confused, you should. Well, no, no. Like, let's say Tim Drake is about 16 years old. That means he's 21 years old at Future's End right now. He gets the Batman Beyond suit. He travels through time 35 years. He's still 21, but he's set 35 years into the future. Right. So he's 20. Or, well, I guess 30 years. 30 years into the future. So in... 40 years, he'll be 25. I no? think a little, Stella's, Stella's trivia that pops up every once in a while. Warren McGinnis has popped up in Gotham Academy. Who knows if that is in fact Warren McGinnis of, uh, the father of Terry. Yeah. Certainly it would be, right? They wouldn't use that name on that. I, I hope would, so. We would hope so. We would hope, we would hope. I just thought that was fun. Not throwing stuff in there. But anyway. Yeah. All right. So that is all of our listening Q and A's. I encourage you obviously for next episode to leave 
for, for this episode to leave your questions and comments on the podcast, and we'll talk about those in the next episode. In addition to that, head over to the website for all the latest news regarding movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all of our other reviews and editorials that we have on the website to offer. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, including joining our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans about everything originating from the BatmanUniverse.net. Also, uh, leave us reviews on iTunes, those are always greatly appreciated. And with that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella Gooley. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.